What's happening, everyone? Welcome to the Paranormies. I'm Johnny Monoxide, and tonight I am joined by Dogbot. What's up, man? Howdy, y'all. And coming all the way from the land of the rising sun, Mr. Altskull. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. All right, how's it going? We have a very special guest coming on here in just a second, guys. Are you guys excited? I'm excited. Very excited. Yes. Very excited. I've been a big fan for a long time, actually. Mm-hmm. This uh, man is responsible for some of our research in the past couple of years. Uh, we've done a couple episodes on the World's Fairs. Uh, welcome to the Paranormies, Howdy McCoskey, author of Exposing the Expositions and many other books, actually. Hi, guys. Hey. Yeah, a lot of them. And of course, a new one just out. But yeah, thanks for having me on. Good to. I, I was going to say see everybody, but this is a, you know, this is a podcast, so I don't see anyone. So good to hear everybody. <laughs> yes, it's good to have you on, man. Um, we, 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 how long ago did we get the Exposed the Expositions book, guys? Is it two years now? Um, no, it was, it was, it was about a year and a half ago. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was about April of 2021. And that was when we were, when we were falling into, ooh, who's got an echo going on? Is that you? It's not me. I don't see. Oh, no. That's okay. It went away. Whatever it was, it yeah, went it's away. Not, it's not happening on my end. Yeah. No, whatever it was, it went away. Okay, cool. Um, we started falling down the rabbit hole, as so many people have recently, down the rabbit hole of Tartaria and the World's Fairs and the different expositions and the crazy architecture of these old world slash new world cities. Um, and this book was just an incredibly cool book. Very easy to read. Um, a lot of well, cool it, pictures, a lot of, Yeah. What, there was there, there was a very much lack of literature of anything that was pressing X for doubt on the official narrative of a lot of these historical narratives that were being spun about how these mm. great works of architecture were being created, and it was it was it was refreshing to be able to read to be able to hold a book in my hand that that of someone that was doubting these things the same way that we were doubting them. Yeah. I was kind of in the same point when I wrote that book, I started that in, in um, February of 2019. I had just come back from Florence. I was studying cathedrals and how cathedrals were built as machines and not, not for any kind of religious purpose. And then Mm. when I got back and I bumped into the world's fairs through some, some videos that were on YouTube at the time, probably John Levy and a few others were doing some videos then. And as I <clears throat> realized how crazy these things were, how, how you know, in, insane they were to build these massive 700-acre sites and then just destroy them. Um, like you guys, I kind of went, well, there's lots, there were some YouTube videos on them, but when I went looking for a book, any kind of, um, yeah, that kind of research, I didn't see it. And I thought, well, somebody's got to write a book on this, so it might as well be me. And that's that's kind of how it got started. And uh, and I stopped after nine months because I realized I could have just kept researching this for the next 20 years and not been ever come close to finished. And I just had to say, I think I'm fine with what I've got to present. And then the book is what you had in your hand. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most indelible things that left me from reading your book on that topic was your discussion with the contractor about what it would take to create such a massive project uh the fact the fact that he said it would take roughly two years alone just to do the planning and yet they said that they had the whole thing boop, 
popped up like they just uh, they just turned on an air generator yeah. and the whole thing just popped up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was yeah. one of the, it was a, it was the world's first bouncy castle, right? They just they just turned on the compressor and you know the the thing inflated. Now that was that was the part that got me as a as you know I'm in construction and none of this stuff made sense the timelines for any of the world's fairs or any any of the any of these structures for that matter the world's fairs the cities whatever we'll stay with the world's fairs for now um and like i'm on a project right now that is well into its second year and the building itself like doesn't even have you know the driveway is not built all the way around it and the parking lot's not all the way done yet and they're working they're working two shifts you know 24 hours a day on this thing there's just a regular building you know, but that's just that's because we don't we don't work like that anymore, right? Is that what it is, Howdy? We don't work like that. We don't have that same gumption, bootstraps. There's been a ton of yeah, sort of throwaway <laughs> answers that you run into all the time. Like I, that I came into it was, it was actually what that's when I took the book seriously. Is when I when I met these contractors because I'm not in construction. Uh, I, I could just sort of tell from a little bit I know that the story can't be true, but I I, I needed to hear it from an expert. And once I got these experts telling me, yeah, their opinion that he gave me, he gave me a timeline for the Chicago exposition, the whole thing uh, of 15 years that was with unlimited number of workers, unlimited number of machines, unlimited budget. He said he could do it. He could, he would do it in 15 years. And in but that was like right? totally unlimited everything. Right. And when you say machines, um, you mean like. Caterpillar. Uh, I mean, machines. modern machines. Yeah, yes. with all of his, yeah, with all of his, like yeah. modern, every piece of modern equipment possible, fifteen years. So, yeah, when I asked him, well, how did they do this in nineteen in eighteen ninety one? He just said, not possible. <laughs> so the explanation of spray plaster just was not sufficient. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that the, the the problem with the with the fairs is some people tend to think when I talk about when I talked about them that. Um, I said they didn't build anything at all. That like the the whole thing was just sitting there. No, I think they made they went through a tremendous construction process because if you look at many of the photos, you can obviously tell it's a it's a prefab building. I think a lot of that is quite true. Mm. I think that's how they put up a lot of the fair, particularly the the midways and uh, sort of the um, the carnival areas and maybe some of the you know the smaller buildings, the smaller structures. That makes total sense that they would have done it that mm. way. It's when you start looking at the massive structures, particularly things like the the electrical tower in um, at the Buffalo Fair, for example, that was, I think, 300 feet high and had elevators that ran to the top so that you could go to the top of the structure and look over the whole fair. You're going to build that out of wood and plaster and potentially have, you know, yeah. a thousand people on the top of that collapse and, and kill them in the middle of the fair. No, of course not. So once you start seeing that, Obviously, even from the photos that exist, you know you can tell it, it's it's stones. Some of those, some the big buildings are stone structures. Mm-hmm. It just throws it throws the whole thing out out of whack. But I do think there was a construction project there, and I do think there was a, and there was a massive cleanup project. To what extent, I have no idea because, of course, I wasn't there. All I can do is, right. um, like anyone can do, is look at the narrative and present the narrative as there's holes in the narrative. And once you've got holes in the narrative that don't don't logically get explained, that doesn't mean you have an answer. It just means, well, we have to look somewhere else for, for an answer. Yeah. And because it's not just the construction of the World's Fairs that's problematic, it's also the destruction that we're told occurred 
afterwards. Mm -hmm. And even that would be, you know, plaster or not, like 700 acres worth of destruction of these massive fairgrounds with these enormous buildings, these monolithic structures would take an enormous amount of manpower, machine power, and even moving the rubble away is going to take an enormous amount of work. And I, I believe Matt recently, uh, not recently, but he's talked about how the Philadelphia City Hall, there was a proposal to get rid of this enormous building, Phil, Philadelphia City Hall, and then they looked into what it would take to destroy it. And they said that they it would bankrupt the city to just to be able to destroy this single building. And yet mm-hmm. we're told that they did this with 700 uh, acres of this uh, across different fairs across the world. Yeah, I'm also struck by anomalies like the Parthenon in Nashville, you know, that they they said was only supposed to last for 15 years. And here we are nearly 100 years later. And well, it's people... been refurbished, though, DB. They they replastered it. Remember, Reinhardt was there. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. <laughs> hang on a second. Going back to the pictures of the fair. How do you said that you can clearly tell that some of these are stone structures and there's a lot of photographs where you can tell that these things are steel structures on the inside. There are massive amounts of girders and rivets and bolts and nuts that are, you know, ridiculous sizes. And it's obvious that these things were steel. Oh no, it's just, they're just, they're just wood. And, uh, what was this stuff called? Uh, uh, the staff staff yes the staff yeah the a type of plaster called yes, staff yeah. staff and they just whitewashed everything right you know and even this with the statue and the lake all of those things none of none of that makes any sense logistically now let alone 1891 but and it was it was the problem for me with the fairs of course was was the destruction of them it's one mm-hmm. thing to build the thing but then as soon as it's over you bring in the dynamite and blow them up i mean that that, that's make the any first sense. That's the first clue that something's really wrong with the story. And then the second was, which I never expected until I got into the actual digging into the hands-on research and going into the actual books that existed. Because each fair put out like 10 different books mm-hmm. like immediately afterwards. Yeah, the Some book of the fair. 6,000 pages. Yeah. yeah, detail that's beyond belief. Mm-hmm. And once you start going in there and seeing what was actually at these things and more importantly what was going on on the midway what was going on in these human zoos what was going on in these historical centers it was quite obvious it's a giant propaganda machine a giant uh, illusion creating machine and i kind of i you know i came to the conclusion that whatever the last reset was these these world fairs were the things that started the reset and in a sense shaped our world the world Mm -hmm. we've known for 150 years they were built it was built basically at these fairs and that's um, now and now I can see the correlation, which makes it important because we're in we're going in the next reset, and uh, all of, all of this all of this is coming down now, and we'll see what they're going to have planned for the next one. Mm. Definitely, there is there is definitely something planned, and there definitely is a reset coming. Um, yeah. Whether it's Klaus Schwab's Great Reset or something else, but that's a whole. I other. found it interesting that um, just tonight on our website or our not our website i'm sorry our telegram channel i shared a video about these artificial wombs that are popping up all over the place we're seeing i don't think that they actually exist for humans yet at least in a commercial capacity but they probably they probably do in an experimental capacity as in they've been created for decades and they're just being released now but sort of mimetically being released to to ease the public into the idea mm-hmm. of artificial wombs. But I think it's interesting that we see the same parallels with the orphan trains and the incubators at this time. And they're 
de- there definitely seems to be a lead up to, you know, I mean, they're just telling us that the great reset is coming and whatever that's going to entail. I think it's going to be a lot more than something that these people have planned that they're laying out all on their own. I think probably it's something that they don't have as much control over as they would like to, but they want us to believe that they do. But it's very interesting that we see the exact same sorts of technology, but in a different setting in the form of like these artificial wombs as, as uh, we saw back then. That's a really good point because the, that was, and and, and these are, and these kind of things really help us to step back and kind of start asking very serious questions that we likely live in some kind of simulation, some kind of, you know, type of computer generated reality. I'm saying it is a simulation. I'm saying it is computer generated, but these are good metaphors to use because history just keeps repeating itself over and over again. And that's just not huge historical pieces of time. That's our own lives, right? We're living constant loops in our life over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that would make sense. If you're building a simulation and a massive simulated universe as this universe, the code it would take to have like 10 billion options all the time would be enormous. It would make sense if you had a limited amount of code, a limited amount of options and just kept having it repeat over and over and over again. Just the fact that we see so much so much just keeps repeating in slightly different ways. But if you know your history pretty good, you can see it's exactly the same. And that would that lends into we, we we're in some type of simulation because that would make sense. It would make sense to limit the coding, limit the possibilities, so you limit the power source required to run your to run your show. Well, there you go. And the possibility of problems being introduced where you know you've already worked out the bugs for these prior uh, simulations or these prior narratives that you have laid out. So you can just do that again. And you go, okay, we know what to expect with this. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and this is why Westworld is actually such a power. I mean, we talk, I know we talk about dark city and I talk about a number of different movies in, in the book as well. And then the new book exit the cave, but um, Westworld is a really good one for that. Cause Westworld ha- has so many, tiny elements that relate to exactly where we are right now exactly to how our reality isn't what you were just saying that's that's a perfect example of westworld right it's just once you've run a once you've run a, a show through westworld once they've run one round of the park they know how everything works they know how the robots respond they know what they have to tweak they make the tweaks they make the changes they make the alterations and send them back out and and they can kind of just they they're they're gathering data all the time and that's another thing that we're People oh, maybe don't realize is going on with the simulation. It's data. It's data gathering, right? They're it, it's they don't really care what experiences we have. The things that run this place, they just care that we're having experiences because the experiences give them data, and from that data, they can yeah refine this, make make new things, make new you know it's it's a it's a giant data data collecting system. So again, our world that we think of as the human human civilization is is mirroring the total reality, and it's. It's indicating we're obviously coming near the end of it because now our our little human reality is coming so close to matching the mass reality. There's not many more places we can go that's beyond where we actually are. Hmm. Well, it, and it does make sense that the uh, the reality, I guess, resets and it's reset on a schedule, right? I mean, that it's pretty pretty much every what is what is it a hundred and What's Jason from Archaics? This thing, 141 years. It's 138 years. 138 yeah. years. Yeah, I know you went on. You went on a show with with Jason uh, a while back. We've had him on. Uh, he's a he's a simulationist as well. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know if I agree that it's necessarily that there's any kind of actual time frame to it. And mm. There might not be. It might be just certain, we'll call them beings who run this run this whole <laughs> insane realm, uh, right. get to a certain point and they decide now it's time to push the button. So that's another issue. We don't really we don't really know what the what these things are. We we only know if they happen. That's pretty clear. We can look and we can see things that that present this idea of sort of everything that you know, the Noah's flood idea, right? Where everything gets mm-hmm. wiped out and you start fresh again. We have many of these over, over the course of our time, but we don't know who's pushing the button. Why, if it's uh, if it's clocked into the system, what the system clock really is. We don't know any of that, just that right. we're in it. And um, that's good news and bad news for us. Right. <laughs> right. If you don't know. Yeah. I guess if you don't know that you're in a corral, does it like, you know, like what we call the graduated animal farms. If you don't know that you're on one, you know, are you really in one? Well, what, one thing that anybody who either believes that this is a a a god based system or a simulation uh, can agree upon is that it's an enclosed system. Yeah, like it, that, that. There's no like, that. There's that that there's no intention of leaving the system. I you see. Know, that, yeah. You know, that, that, like the, like the, the people that want to believe in science and everything right. think that we're you know, a spinning testicle in space going at, you know, thousands of miles an hour spinning around this thing, which is spinning around that and that's spinning around another thing. And that somehow there's this vast universe, but even, even the people that believe that there's a vast universe believe that there's, there's an edge to it, <laughs> you know, that it's expanding. And then at what, at one point it's going to contract back into itself. But even, even those people don't believe that, that it's not enclosed at some point. Well, it's just even, the su- even your Bill Nye's have come out and been like, you know, no, we live in an enclosed system. You know, he, he said those exact words. Um, but that's getting back to what Howdy said about the uh, the uh, data collecting in that and the algorithms. We have what do we have it like Purdue University. We have the sentient world system and the other huge quantum D wave supercomputers that they have out there that are doing nothing but collecting data <clears throat> from huge data collection. Uh, institutions like Google, Amazon, Facebook. Uh, I mean, why do you think they're building these multiple football field-sized server farms? That's all they are. They're just holding data. They're collecting data. Everything you think, say, or do, it's in there. And it gets put into the SWS, and the SWS accurately predicts the way that the the system goes, right? Isn't Isn't that their theory behind that? Basically. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of I think that's that's where we are. We're we're in a the the, the challenge becomes, right? And this is where this is where the new research starts to get challenging for people. And that is um I'm hitting I'm hitting at fundamental belief structures. Mm. And the fundamental belief structure that just about every human lives on the planet, whatever you call it, this realm, uh, believes now, if we've been taught since we were children, this was a place that was made by a loving creator, cares about us, put us here so we could learn, we could grow, we could make some, have some challenges, make some mistakes, and eventually uh, reach some form of perfection and return back to this wonderful, loving uh, creator, heaven-like reality. 
This is what we've, and, and it's amazing to see how that is somehow ingrained in everybody. Even the, even the, the uh, staunch science only person still has some, some idea in their system that the world is meant to be, the world has a, has a, is, is supposed to be good. It's supposed to be positive. And, and that's where we're, that's where we're sitting. We're sitting with this, with this foundational belief. The problem is, is when you start reading groups that particularly the Church of Rome decided they wanted to eliminate, people like the Gnostics who wrote the Nag Hammadi texts or the Cathars of the 12th century or, and a number of other groups, they had a very different story. To them, there, there was this all-absolute being existing well be outside of this realm, outside of the matrix, outside of the cave, and this particular reality that we know of was created by um, an evil offshoot. Uh, called the Demiurge by the Gnostics, Rex Monday by the Cathars, and that this entire this entire realm is built for one thing, um, a power-generating source through the use of suffering so that the beings inside, I sort of describe it this way, that the beings inside the game generate the power to keep the game running. And that's it. That the, the, this realm is meant for um, suffering and insanity. I've always said, yeah, the, this this world is insane, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. And the problem is we keep placing our belief structure on reality and try to make reality match our beliefs rather than just like the fairs, step back and say, okay, let's start from scratch. What do we know about reality? And maybe reality is running exactly as it's supposed to. And it's our belief and our perception and what's going on out there that's totally wrong. And this was meant, this is meant to be hell. And that's what we need to actually see and respond to rather than the constant way we've been working of, oh, it, it's just not right. God God just got made a mistake or something happened and God needs me to fix it. So once you start changing these viewpoints and moving into these, these, ancient, these ancient presentations of this reality, it opens a lot of doors to questions and people will say, well, you're being, you can be, you're very, this sounds very negative and it doesn't sound very positive to me, but the end result is positive. The end result of this study is finding your true power. It's finding the actual divine spark that is within all of us. The problem is these, these walls of belief, these walls of false are so strong that unless we're willing to test them, there's no chance of finding that true spark within. So yeah, it, it's it's challenging to talk about this stuff, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't. And it doesn't mean people shouldn't question it and think about these things because we've been told so many, so we've been under so much deception since the, even before we were born, but certainly from the moment we were born, the opportunity, if you're interested in actually exiting the cave, exiting the matrix is to start asking, what do I know for sure? And we find not much. I don't know anything. <laughs> well, yeah, I have, to, can, I have, well, to, tell, I have to tell myself that all the time. And it, it just it keeps me it keeps me uh, open minded and willing to uh, accept things that come across my path that challenge my concept of reality as I know it. And uh, that's what I've discovered in the past three years is I, I don't really know anything. I I can't verify so many things that. Uh, Whenever I was growing up, I generally had to accept what's true. Take the moon landing for existence. I just, just the idea that we didn't land on the moon was so absolutely patently absurd to me that I wouldn't even listen to what anybody had to say on the topic whatsoever. And then my curiosity got the best of me, and I started looking into some of the refutations of landing on the moon. 
And after I got into it a little bit and I started looking at some of these refutations, at some point I was like, yep, don't think we did. Probably not. You know, I have no way to prove it one way or the other, but uh, yeah, I, it seems it seems absurd. I think circumstantially you can go over all of the ev- quote evidence and make a very, very strong case for the fact that nobody's been to the moon. But uh, no, I get I get what you're saying, how the, the cognitive dissonance is built in built in from childhood. I mean, they start with uh, yeah. with the space programming from infancy. You know, what's the first thing a, a baby sees when they go home? It's the the little um, the stars and the moon, the little mobile spinning around. them, Right. Or they have the, the little projector that projects the stars on the ceiling, you know, and right. And they're all moving and right from there. And then you get into school and it's it's. Uh, uh, astronomy and well, actually the it's, 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 it's and, much know. it's much bigger than that it's much it's way bigger than that i, uh-huh. I remember when i i met a about a three-year-old child mm-hmm. uh, who was speaking you know she was two and a half three years old and she kept she kept referring to herself in the third person it was always sally wants a drink sally wants to go outside and the parents kept telling her no no it's your sally you say i want a drink sally wants a drink so her the, the thing that was speaking, that was communicating, and this Sally thing were two completely different things. They were not one and the same. That this, this, young, this young child and the body were not anywhere close to the same thing. And, you know, the parents hammered this into her until obviously sometime after I left and went home, uh, eventually she would say, I want a drink. And literally that's our first fall into total deception is when we Hmm. come to the agreement that me and my body are one and the same. And that unfortunately happens to all of us. And it's one of the reasons that a very young child is still so pure because they're not fully in this realm yet. They're still in, they're still in the other realm and they still have, they have so much wisdom to teach us actually a two year old child just learning to speak has like probably more wisdom than most 80 year olds. Um, And we just don't know how to access what they know. But it's interesting if you if you have a chance to be around one at that age to watch what's going to happen of how they go from that non non localized state to being I want to drink I want to go outside and that's it they are their they are their body and now they're locked in they're here they're they're a member as Castaneda would say and you're you're in the game. Hmm. Yeah. Well, because you know children are able to do things that adults can't do because we always say it's well it's because our pineal glands are are uh, calcified now and that might have something to do with it but i never thought about it that like that's the first deception that you get is that you need to connect you to your your corporal self basically is that what you're doing when you do that yeah yeah that is insane yeah, and i had it, not it thought was, of that it was amazing to see this i'm sorry I'm, I'm sorry i'm like a little bit mind blown right here i don't normally get mind blown on this show but uh that's Joe Rogan's job, but, uh, <laughs> but good lord, that makes complete sense. I never thought about right. that. Hmm. Right, because as soon as as soon as you accept that me and body are the same, I mean, really, mm-hmm. you know, what we're talking about is is awareness, right? Like what right. happened in my when I had my near death experience, and everything, in a sense, fell away, including thoughts, including memories, including fears, including hopes, including everything, and all that was left was just a a non judging witnessing awareness. And when I realized, well, that's actually what I am, and all this other stuff is just, just a covering. It's just like mm-hmm. a shirt that I'm wearing, the shirt that awareness is wearing, and 
when we see that that's kind of been, if we were still actually living in that space, we would live completely different here because we would no longer, we would no longer be as concerned. We would be, we would look after the body the same way we might look after, a, you know, our, our dog. We, we like the dog. We care for the dog. We love the dog. We let the dog go outside and do its stuff, but we don't identify. I'm not the dog. The dog is, the dog is there and I'm here and mm. he's my friend. And, you know, and we would treat our body the same way. We wouldn't identify totally with it. So it means we would stay in a, in a pure, more, a more pure awareness state. I don't want to sound like new agey or anything with this, but um, it, it, it's a complete, it would be a completely different way of moving through reality. Um, and it, it is similar to how I spent a lot of years with native medicine men back when I still lived in Canada and, and they kind of still had, they still had a lot of that type of awareness. I'm not saying they had it completely anymore, but they had probably lost it as children as well and regained it in the course of, of their own medicine training. And um, so, I, I mean, I'm grateful to have had people like that around me to have seen, to have seen this other possibility of, of awareness and perception. And that was, those are big, big, um, that's the word I'm looking for. There were big influences on me a long time ago in realizing there was way more that I could go with this work than what I thought there was, that there was a whole other levels of possibility. And not that I've reached all of these levels of possibility, but I, I know they exist. And I know it's far greater than just what my little tiny mind thought was possible. Hmm. Now, when you spend time with the medicine men and, and did all that kind of shamanic stuff, was there any, uh, were there any uh, like ayahuasca type experiences? Oh, no, they, they the, all the medicine people uh, I was with was very clear that all drug, all drug aspects are very dangerous because okay. they're you're giving yourself over to the drug. The drug is in control. Right. The challenge is drugs do open doorways mm-hmm. and they do they do put you into different realms of understanding, but you have to, in a sense, pay a toll. The Anyone who's used drugs knows the drug wants something from you. Mm-hmm. And so all the medicine people I worked with always taught how to do the same thing without – Without okay. the use of, okay. uh, without the use of that to do it, whether it's through drumming, through singing, through uh, dancing, through uh, through gazing, through all sorts of different act of walking, through all sorts of different activities, that way we are in control. And if I, I've had some experiences where I just I didn't like it anymore and wanted to leave, and I was able to, I was able just to return. So mm-hmm. all all of their experiences were based on uh, very very ancient types of practice that took time to learn how to do and time to learn how to do them properly and do them safely so that when when um, when it was ready to go ahead you could mm. and of course I was I was still you know grade five compared to where they were uh, then the things that I saw stuff that I still can't actually explain um, and that's just again showing the possibility that is inherent within all of us the inherent the possibility that's within uh, the human being itself, uh, that we've been that we've been chopped away from over the course of time. That those those uh, forces that uh, control this realm have done everything to get humans to not think we're very powerful, to think we've you know just, we've we've evolved from from monkeys and apes, and that we're we're so lucky to have our dishwashers and our our telephones and our whatever, and not even realizing that yeah, but. You know, thousands of years ago, humans could do more than we could ever imagine, and it's 
hopefully a few are starting to regain that, but it's a slow process. Right. That's one of the things I've always said that we've devolved. At one point, we probably could do all the things that the X-Men did. And that's part of like why they tell us that. But you can't anymore. Um, Yeah, that's 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 pretty interesting stuff. I've always see there are and there there are two schools of thought with the uh, with the the shaman thing. I've always heard, you know, that always heard about the ayahuasca and the, the guys go out and they have like, you know, they they meet their spirit animal and blah blah blah. But when I've I've read about the way you you said you did it, you guys had to learn it over a long period of time and doing drumming and chanting and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. The the other way when you use the the chemical means of getting into that whatever headspace or wherever you're doing, um, it ends up usually a lot more times in a, in a bad place than a good place. I've never heard about anybody getting into a bad place, doing it the way like that way. You know what I mean? So you're, it's probably, Oh yeah, you can. No question. There's, there's, there's very, I mean, you have to be, if you're being honest with stuff, most of this is a bad place. Um, (laughs) the problem is, is with the drug, it just, it can move you there really quickly. And then, Again, you can't get out. And you can't get out. That's the other thing is, yeah, like, that was like yeah. one of the jokes it, it, we used you, to say. You're in until the experience ends. You're you're in until the, yep. the, the it, but as opposed to, yeah, if you're doing it through, say, drumming, for example, um, all you have to do is open your eyes and you're, you're back. Right, now, granted, drumming. I've had a couple of those where it took me, you know, an hour to kind of shake my head a little bit and, and reground and get back from the experience. But I was... I was in, I was in control. Now, of course the, the experience and I've, I've only heard a lot of uh, discussion about it, but it seems like it can be, it's, it's quicker and it's deeper, right? The chemical experience takes you in very quick, very deep. And the other way it takes a long time, a lot of years to learn how to get that deep the other way. Mm -hmm. But the good news of taking that time is you start learning the process really, really well. And you start learning where you are, where you're going, what you're dealing with so that no matter what starts to come up, no matter what these medicine men would, would, and women would have to deal with uh, in the sweat lodge and whatever else was going on, they had been doing it for so long. They were so prepared, um, you know, as opposed to it wasn't like it wasn't like they went to level 10 on the first time they were in a sweat lodge. So it's like it has its own checks and balances by going by going in the old route. And again, that doesn't mean there isn't there's are certain uses at certain times when when a chemical can be called for. Mm. But like I say, I, I worked with three different medicine men and they were all very clear that this is the way it's been done in our culture for thousands of years and this is the this is the best way to learn and to proceed. All right. Well, there it we certainly go. does appear that there's been a a um, like a campaign waged against the normal human, the normal person, by this system that's been both spiritual and focused upon the material to degrade the person into something that I don't really understand how the pineal gland is supposed to work and i've heard some people say oh yeah well it's calcified and some people say no it's supposed to be calcified i don't understand any of that stuff but it does seem like that normal humans are now in a state where they'll believe almost anything and i don't feel like i don't quite understand history very well because it seems so fluid to me now but it does seem like humans before this were at a point where they understood both material reality and spiritual reality much better than they do now and that it would have been much more uh, difficult to fool people a long time ago who were much more connected to both the spiritual and then connected to the material in a way that's more natural than 
rather than rooted in the material and to where we believe that the material is all that there is. And there's this atheistic universe that was created by a big explosion that we all, you know, came from amoebas and monkeys and things like that, but more like connected to um, the fabric of creation rather. And it seems like this system is working in overdrive now to make sure that that remains suppressed and that they get the very last of the people who are waking up and put them back to sleep, whether that's through a process of indoctrination via the television or mass media or music or movies or whatever, or if it's these um, frequencies that they're putting out into the air or if it's vaccination or any of these things. But it, it really seems like there's a, a pitched battle that's been waged against us and that there's very few of us who are able to overcome so many of the obstacles that are thrown in front of us. Well, there's, there's something incredibly attractive about the idea about realizing the idea that uh, this system that has been created is manipulating us from so many vectors that it's nearly impossible to escape because when you try to find your, like when you observe the, when you observe, let's just say, for instance, the chemtrails that are in the sky. Well, you have to breathe the air. You have to go outside at some point. You need to go outside so you can be in tune at some point with nature. But the the way that a lot of the system makes it is to where uh, they want to even bully the ones that can see some of this stuff into participating still in the same drone-like fashion as the people who don't see any of it at all. And they consume all the goy slop that's available they consume all the plastic nonsense that, you know, they collect all the plastic nonsense in whatever varying form or, you know, they worship the sports ball and they go, you know, they work and then they consume and then they go home and they veg out and then they rinse and repeat until they, until they pass on, uh, which uh, lends to the idea of the non-player character being uh, a real thing. You know, uh, when you come across some of these people, you know, it's, and, and you have, uh, to some extent, been awakened to things that are going on, it's very difficult to carry on a conversation with some of these people because you don't feel like that you don't feel like you can reach them at all. There's nothing to reach there. That's what I'm saying. They're NPCs. There's n nothing to talk about other than current news event, you know, update, whatever uh, social media is telling them to, to like today. Are all those people incapable of reaching any of the similar conclusions that people that can see through some of this stuff have? I don't think they can. I don't think so. It happened today, okay? <clears throat> this is a good example. Brittany Griner. Everybody knows that's a man. Everybody knows. How do you know that's a man, right? <laughs> Who is it? Brittany Griner, the black NBA. Oh, yeah. That's a man. Yep. You know that's a man. We all know that's a man. Like, th yep. So the NPCs are like, oh, man, it was really bad. Well, you know, we had to give up a real war criminal for that. And this is at work. This is, these, are, these are construction guys, right? These are construction worker NPCs. Um, when you show them actual proof, like all I did was play the Brittany Griner interview from last year, like from a year ago when she was still playing, when it was still playing basketball. It was like, yeah, you know, we had to get the, I mean, I can play it for you, but it's definitely a man's voice. I, all I did was like, listen to this and tell me if this is a male or a female voice. And the NPC will still tell you that's a woman. That's, it's amazing. Like they have no, like there's no breaking that. You can, that's, that's a man's voice. You clearly hear male tones coming out of, you know, coming out of the speaker and they will tell you, no, that's a woman. It's amazing. It, Again, it, it's it, these are all just these are all just belief systems, mm -hmm. and actually, none of it really matters at all. 
what 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 people believe or don't believe is just it's just talking points and okay some people see things a little differently and a little clearer but it's still just another belief structure right we're back to when we're talking about dark city and here we are here we are talking about there's a difference between studying plato's cave and learning how the cave works which has some value mm-hmm. and then there's leaving the cave altogether and uh, you know for example now i've i've lost interest in the cave completely i don't care to be quite honest with you i i, I don't care what what happens here i don't care what anyone's doing actually i'm zero because i know it's all false i know right. this realm is it this is a suffering pit of hell that's all it is it's built on different different levels but that's that's what it's built to do and i've just i've had enough i've just i'm i'm going home and um part of the reason i'm wrote the book and I'm talking to people now is maybe a few others are ready to go home too. And everyone else that wants to sort of study the matrix forever, uh, study dark city completely. Okay. But where's that going to get you at the end? And we're back to what about the person who says, yeah, I don't want to be in this place anymore either. It's crazy. Cause like what you're, all the things you're talking about is showing it's insane. Mm -hmm. The reality is insane. And the fact that most people don't see that it's insane, that's insane on top of it. And it's, it's, it's been this way for a long, long time. You know, we can talk about that the ancient world was different, and it may have been uh, slightly, but still, uh, still here we are. Reality's, reality's not improved. Reality's certainly not gotten any better. Reality's not gotten any, certainly not gotten more sane. And so, uh, yeah, I'm at the point where I'm just I'm I'm going, I'm leaving, and um, I'm turning out I'm turning out my power source, so the matrix won't be getting my energy anymore. And um, we'll see if a few others are realizing. I think they are. I think this. It's really strange. What you, we we started this interview with the with the, this mud flood idea, mm-hmm. and if you go back, like there's been some zeitgeists in the last like 15 years. First, it was the flat Earth. Well, actually, no. We can say before that it was the it was the moon landing stuff you're talking about. That was kind of one of the first ones that began. The, did the moon landing happen or not? Then it became the uh, the fl- the flat Earth, and that ran two or three years. Then it became the Mandela effect that ran for two or three years. Then it became this Tartaria mud flood, and that's run for three or four years. And now it's this idea of is this a soul trap? Is are we dealing with a reincarnation trap of some kind? And and now this is kind of becoming the current zeitgeist. And it's kind of like each one is built on the other. It's like you almost couldn't get here without the others. They were all stepping stones on the way. And it's interesting that now we're we're near the point where this this place is either getting flicked off, shut down, time looped back to a particular starting point, whatever. And we're maybe bringing out again the most complete information that we as hopefully uh, aware humans need. And it's great. It's available for those who really want to know. But like you say, the majority, 90% will not care in the least. They mm-hmm. won't even they won't even listen. And that's, that's fine. Um, but I've come to the place now after all these, after 25 years of work in these fields to kind of say, okay, uh, it's been an interesting ride. It's been an interesting party, but now it's 3 a.m. and my friends are on the ground puking and wanting me to have another drink and I'm just going home. Well, there, there's that there's that phrase, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. Right. And a lot of people have found, them, a lot of people who've been awakened to certain things, what at whatever rate that they are currently at, the the people within their sphere of influence they will try they will try to bring the horse to water 
and then it, it it's uh you have to decide at some point uh how upset you're going to allow yourself to get when they decide I'm not going to I'm not going to drink what you're I'm not I'm not I'm not going to drink what you brought me to you know, uh, yeah, and- it, it's an issue everybody has to go through. You know, once somebody sees through something, I was in that place a long time ago. And it's like, well, pick your friends, right? Your friends or your family. Well, they need to know people I care about. They need to know this too. They need to understand this. And it, it didn't take long yet to realize they're not interested. Not only are they not interested, they think I'm insane. And so that's not helping me. That's not that. That's actually ruining my energy. It's ruining my work. It's ruining the things I have to do to um to, to to continue my journey and you have to start realizing you've got to let them go if they come to you you make yourself available though if they if someone comes to you and wants to ask questions then okay you make yourself available but yeah going going after them trying to trying to fix somebody you might say is just going to ruin your energy and it's going to it's going to exhaust you and that's not and we we need every bit of energy going forward that we can hold on to we we share with we share with those who we find that are in our community. And that's, that's the best way to use the energy now is not try to, not try to, um, not try to fix someone outside because you care for them. It's find who is like-minded, find, find who is thinking in the same uh, lines I am and align yourself. That's your new family. That's your new friends. The friends you've had for 40 years, they don't apply anymore. Uh, the way the world is, the way the insane world is right now, you're, you're, you found out who your friends are. In the last three years, you know who your friends are. And in many yeah. cases, it's not your family and it's not the friends you've known. Absolutely. But the ones that are that you are making now, the ones that are thinking the way that you do in, under this, these circumstances, they are beyond friends. They are, you are now like almost like at the soulmate level and we need to we need to put our energy there with the people in our communities who we have become close to because of what we've seen through and let the others do as they do. And, but if they want to knock on our door, we gladly open it and welcome them in. You mentioned uh, in the book that a lot of people, when they first realize that what they're seeing are just shadows on the wall and they're watching a movie as, a, as on a screen projected before them and they get up, they kind of break, break the chain off their neck and they start walking around the theater and it's a 360 degree screen all around them that there's a bunch of other people standing around in the theater that have already gotten up before them and they're like hey hey you got what's what's up how how come you got up and you're like i didn't really like that movie i want to watch this movie over here i want to see this different movie and actually they haven't left the movie theater and uh that the other thing that you mentioned in the book that i found really uh, extremely poignant and correct was that you would expect there to be a few groups, but actually there are just thousands of different groups that you can get immediately sucked into. And you talk about all of the different aspects of the movie theater without actually talking about exiting the movie theater whatsoever. The other thing I find really uh, interesting and marvel at often is the idea that right now at the period of time that we're living in, like you just mentioned, like in the last three years, if you haven't figured it out in the last three years, really, there's no excuse and you probably don't want to figure it out. But every, so much has been revealed that you have to wonder that the system is allowing so much of this stuff to be just shoved in our faces in, in regards to the nature of reality and the nature of the trick of reality and how much deception there is just being completely exposed and how ridiculous the world is when you look out upon it that 
it either knows that something big is coming and it doesn't matter. So it can just basically throw open the doors of the library of Alexandria and say, have at it, go, you know, <laughs> root around in there and find out whatever you want. Or that uh, something else is coming that is going to make all of this obsolete and uh, it's, it's all going to be reset. So. I, I feel like it I feel like the system dares you to notice it because it wants you to react so mm-hmm. it could it could have its its people in place to point at you like Donald Sutherland at the end of invasion of the body snatchers yeah oh man that's a that's an old reference man I vaguely remember I I mean I I, I mean a lot of people have seen the the picture of him point, pointing pointing with his mouth gaping open you know Whoa. Yeah. Oh yeah. right. Yeah. The, oh yeah. The, yeah that's yeah. what they do. Yes. Okay. Now I remember. Okay. That's better. <laughs> Took me a second. Um, no, absolutely, man. And this this system is is set up like that. Who knows? I, and here's the thing: is the system isn't throwing open the the doors to the Library of Alexandria. You know that the Vatican's still closed. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. When they, I'll believe that when they open up the gates in the Vatican and let me down there. <laughs> I want to yeah. see what's. I want to see what's in the library. I do. But that's, what if it's what, what if it's nothing? What if they really just don't have crap down there at oh, all? Oh man! I mean, what if I it's like it's like a couple old desks, <laughs> and, and like <laughs> in the top drawer is like a like a like a like a picture of like like one of the old popes, like you know, like yeah. <laughs> or, or you see you've seen those office buildings that have been vacated, and there's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. there yeah, you know, there's like a a broken stapler and and right. like some of those like movable cube. Uh, cubicle walls mm-hmm. and there's like in the, in the top drawer there'd be like the old picture of whatever whoever was president at the time you know, there's like, like an old there's like an old calendar thumbtack to it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i always figured it would be like one of those um like a whole library full of those books of like the seals of the lesser seals of solomon that have all of the sigils and the crazy symbols all over it and it's written in a bunch of weird archaic latin and greek and none of us would be able to make any sense out of it anyway john d's angelic like, languages and stuff yeah yeah it's like what are you gonna do any, with have any of oh, been there at the door at, at that particular door to the vatican library no i want to though no i've been to the vatican i can tell you it's cre- i can tell you it's creepy really it's it's just it's just um when you get the it's a very it's a it's like a it's an it's not i wouldn't say it's a, a beautiful door it's a nice door but you know, it's well, you can tell it's well locked, well guarded. And when I got close to it, just getting close to it was enough to get creeped out. And most of the Vatican Museum, I don't feel creeped out. There's a, there was a few, there was a few pieces in there, a few, a few pieces from like Sumerian Babylon that were very creepy. And um, I was certainly very creeped out in, in St. Peter's Cathedral that, that there was a lot of places in there that was very, my skin was almost crawling, but right at the door, right at the door that was heading to the secret Vatican library. Yeah, that was, I, I could just feel it. I was just creeped out. All right. So I have no idea what's on the other side of the door, but my guess is it's not nothing. I was going to say there's it's not desks. Whatever yeah. it is, there's something on the other side because <laughs> I felt it. I don't, I don't doubt that. We are, we are definitely memeing. There, there has to be. I mean, it, it, it was watching you through the keyhole. Yeah. Whatever it is. Ooh. <laughs> right. You know that's that's something. Um, has anybody ever seen Skull? You might have. Have you ever seen Preacher? The, the movie, really terrible show. It's like a. I, yeah, I've seen I watched. I watched bits of it. It, okay, it, yeah. it would come on after Walking Dead or something. They like did a that. thing. They yeah. did a thing with the Vatican Library 
and that's where they're keeping the descendants of Christ in the show. It's like, oh my god, yeah. But but because they're all inbred, the the current descendant is actually retarded. Like, because of course, because it's a Seth Rogen production. Oh well, there so you go. So why wouldn't the descendant of Christ be retarded and drooling on itself, right? Does he also it. smoke weed like Seth Rogen? It looks like he does. I mean, the guy. They, okay. Yeah. So. I yeah. Know. It looked like uh, who's the guy? It looked like a retarded Russell Brand, actually. Wait, you mean more? An even more retarded Russell Brand. Yes. Okay. All right. A physically retarded Russell Brand. How about that? That is one convincing con artist. He's he's good. He had me he's again good. the other day. I was watching one of his things, and I'm like, he's telling the truth. He is telling. But that's what those gatekeepers do, though. You yeah, know? He's like New Age Alex Jones, yeah. basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. but did you see where the ball in the third cup went, though? No, stop. Stop yeah. it. What the? Oh, wait. That's the three shells. That's a whole other thing. All yeah. right. So um, <laughs> we're way off topic and stuff. Howdy. Your new book, Exit the Cave. Uh, you sent us the first six chapters, and then when we went to go, the book's out now. When did it, when did it actually get released? I think it actually well, it was out at the time as just a PDF. Now it's out okay. as a print book. Yeah, I guess it came out in like uh, near the middle of October and okay. near the end of October, something like that. So it's been like about a month, okay. but not long. Cool. Um, I have, like I said, I've I read the first six, and um, we're definitely gonna gonna finish this and wait for this the second part next year. Uh, but you started was Falling for Truth your first? No, the Egyptian book was your first book, right? Yeah, I, my first one was uh, Power Then, where that was like the first 10 years of my life was, yeah, trying to go through ancient Egypt. And then it became looking at the symbolism and the hermeticism and uh, comparative religion. And it just it just kept growing and growing and growing and just became like this giant, massive tome of stuff of which now maybe half of it I still believe and half of it I kind of go, eh, yeah, you know. But uh, it was it was a valuable learning tool for me. And it certainly was. It was important because it was, you know, for, for the guys that have heard my interviews um, that I've done before, it was the thing that saved me from a tremendous depression uh, to the point that I wanted to kill myself, right? And it was it was that video on, on ancient Egypt that got me out of the depression and moving and working. And and it was working on the, trying to understand ancient Egypt. That's how I met the medicine men. That's how I met the, the Zen monk from, from Korea. That's how I met the, the Qigong teachers. And, and it was... It, it, it was it was my way. Really, it was a book about ancient Egypt. But it was a book about my testing reality because that's what I was doing for the first ten years of this work. It was can I prove reality is solid? And of course, through a whole lot of very strange experiences, I found out it wasn't. So that's kind of what the first book was all about: was me looking into ancient Egypt and me trying to me trying to figure out how solid the world was. And what is, is it? A gas? Is it a? plasma what did you come up can with I, can i just no. say something real quick <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting howdy because one of my questions for you that i wrote down in show prep was uh it was this and you can just uh, respond after because it's you've already basically led up to it it's i said can you give us a brief idea of how you view this reality is it more fluid and malleable or do you believe there's a solid mostly immutable material history that can be studied and gleaned from good question um I would, I mean, I would say now from my experience, because, uh, and again, these are all non-drug experiences. So these are all experiences simply from doing practice. And at the time I was doing 12 to 14 hours a day of very, it's, it's almost all I did. I was a stand-up comedian at the time. So it was perfect. I could go and 
you know, do a couple of shows a month and I had the whole rest of the time just for my own study. I can say that it got to the point where I had to hold on to chairs to make sure the chair didn't disappear when I sat down. I never, I, I got to, I've told stories where I, I was seeing through walls and people would appear and disappear and, and what you would call glitches in the matrix were happening constantly. Or uh, it was, I mean, literally I could just tell probably 50 bizarre stories from that time. And, and, and I came out of it when I finally when I kind of sort of regrounded after that experience, uh, I realized that it's, it's just, how would I describe it? It's like a transparent energy that's around us. So there's a transparent energy and I've learned how to, how to claim that an energy in a certain cluster, that's a glass, an energy in a certain cluster, that's a chair, an energy in a certain cluster, that's a, that's a calculator, that's a banana, that's a whatever. And I realized, but that's just, that's just me and how I've learned all there really is, is these energy clusters and the energy clusters aren't even what I really think they are. They're just, it's, so it's really weird. It's like, if I'm into, if I'm actually drinking, like I'm drinking a tea, like you guys are, so I'm drinking a green tea right now. And now, but I know I'm not a body drinking a green tea. I know I'm an energetic form drinking another energetic form that's appearing as if it's green tea but it's just energy interacting with energy so once i got to that point when i knew all the really there's it's like the it's like in the 13th floor when the guy gets out of the car and he sees the the what he call like the lines of the universe going past uh, where his car was it's kind of like kind of got to the point like that and then forms just forms are put together based on what i expect the energy is supposed to look like and the more i could turn off the the uh, perception device that the energy has to look like this the energy became free to do what it wanted that's the best way i could describe it it's still a crappy explanation but that's the best way i can describe how i came to see what this reality is like uh, yeah that's i mean I wouldn't call that crappy. That's pretty extensive. Well, it, it is for what I've seen. It was like, that's like, a, you know, if I could try to, if I could give you like what's in my head and just, mm. just like trans, transplanted into your own, you would say, yeah, that was a pretty crappy explanation. <laughs> no, I, it's, 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 sometimes it's hard to put into words what's up in your, in your head. And that's part of, well, that's part of being human and, and being connected to this, this realm, however we're connected. You know, our brains, we only use what, 10 to 15% of our brains, supposedly, according to science TM. But what do we, you know, what do we really, what do we really use? What do we actually have up there? You know? Yeah. Well, trying to describe and, the, yeah. trying so to we, des- we were talking about, we were talking, we just came to mind. We were talking about earlier, you know, uh, how do you get people to see or why aren't people seeing stuff? And mm-hmm. like something I noticed in, in your other shows, obviously here, you're, there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of comedy in what you're doing and the way you're, you're running your show. Right. And as a former stand-up comedian, if you're going to see the world in a way where you're actually producing material, you're actually producing things that you're going to present to an audience and is is funny, you are already altering the way your brain works. Like, you, you know, uh, one person would walk into a, a shoe store and see one thing. Uh, the comedian walks in and sees something completely different. Mm-hmm. We're both looking at a set of shoes, but, you know, there's two, there's two completely different ways of seeing it. And you're already seeing what's wrong with this, what's strange, what's not right. what's So the comedy mind is actually a very good mind for digging into reality and digging into the what's true and what's not true because already as soon as you're looking for something funny it means you're looking for something from a different angle than the way everyone else is looking at what's in front of you there's an oscar wilde quote that goes 
if you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they'll kill you. <laughs> He's not wrong. Well, um, well, that's how George Carlin could get away with what he got away with, right? He got up on stage and said things like, you have owners, they own you. You know, and people yeah. laugh at that. When Ari Shafir gets up there and talks about, when we call you goy, that's not a good thing. It's actually very derogatory. <laughs> it's my favorite derogatory word. You know, like that, like when they say that kind of stuff, and, and, and again, they're telling you the truth. They're telling you exactly what happens, and people are sitting there laughing. You know, well, some, how, of the, some of the George best... Carlin was brilliant. He was yes, George I, Carlin was brilliant. And it took him a long time to get to that point. It was a it was a huge evolution of time. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't really until the 1990s that he began starting to get even more truthful directly in his shows. And then it wasn't until, yeah, the, like 2004, 2005, he sort of sort of took the blinders off. Well, I think but he was allowed to do he, that. He I mean, just, I, I, I think if he if he was he walking, was, he was walking a tight. Tight yeah. rope at that point, a tight uh, edge at that point, I think. Yeah, he made his money. He had his FU money. And at the time, he was able to do that kind of stuff. No, I love, I have his books. I have his, both of his brain droppings books. Um, I love George Carlin. I, and I often say, I'm pretty sure, you know, Socrates was fun at parties. Socrates. You know, because most, I mean, he's a philosopher as opposed to a comedian in his later life, Carlin. You know, and, I, and again, like if you make people laugh, I'm pretty sure. Who was the one, which was the one was the funny philosopher from Greece, right? One of the guys made fun of one of the other guys. And wasn't that like a big thing? Hey, Adrian. Hey, Adrian. Yes. Hey, Adrian. Yeah. Adrian anyway, was gay. Adrian was gay. That's, wow. Another wrong that one. Was yeah. a, that's a great echo there. Yeah. Who, who's echoing? Man. Oh, well. Uh, well. Uh-oh. I think it's you. Talk about I don't think it is. It keeps saying you on at, the I'm, screen. Oh well, I'm looking at my I'm looking at my audio settings and I'm not seeing it. You're the only one lighting up on. Anyways, it's fine. It hasn't. It stopped. Okay, so we are going to take a quick break. Howdy, you want to come back yep. for some more an hour or two? I I had a question yeah. to Howdy before oh. we go to the break. Okay. Does, oh. Just do you since you're a former stand-up comedian, do you have a good joke that we can uh, end the first hour with? Uh, no, because one, they're, 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 they were all bits, so nothing, nothing could come out individually that I can think of that would be that would work at all. It would just, it would just sit there and, and kind of die. Right, and this is how um, I know you were a good comic, Howdy, because good comics don't tell jokes. Yeah, I was just no. wondering. No, I don't know. And the worst, and the worst part of it is when even when I was a comedian and people would meet me, I'm kind of like this. This is how I've always kind of was. And they, how are you a comedian? You're not funny at all. <laughs> and and I, I, I kind of maybe that's true. It was just, it was like a persona. It was like a you know a, a, a suit that I put on when I went on stage. So I had my stage persona, and then I had my regular guy who just walked around. A lot of stuff I did was impersonations. A lot of stuff was improv. So. I wound up only doing maybe 15 or 20 minutes of jokes in a show, actual material in a show. The rest was, the rest was working with the audience and working with a whole lot of other stuff. So maybe that's why I can't think of any jokes anymore because I had so few of them in my show. <laughs> I think a lot of the jokes that there, there are a lot of jokes we make on the show that is basically gallows humor because everything can be just so uh, overwhelming and depressing when you Dark. look at the larger scale of stuff that's going on. That it's better just to point and laugh at it. Yeah, I mean that's all you can. You know, do. it's and it's and it's a valuable tool. I haven't, you know, you guys. Thanks for having this conversation right now because it's something I haven't talked about. I didn't talk about enough in the book. I didn't talk about it much in the interviews. But it's one of the great 
powers and gifts that humans have. That is humor and laughter. And it's one of the it's one of the ways we have to counteract the insanity that's around us is find ways to even in the midst of the difficulty and the and the and the craziness to laugh and to help others to laugh. Because if you can it was it was one of the greatest things I got, to be honest, from my show is when a couple of times I had people come up after a show and they might say, you know, I've been having a really horrible time. My life's been really shitty, you know, whatever. My, 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 uh, somebody died. This, but this is the first time I've laughed in like months. Thank you. And it was just that there was no greater thing I could have heard anybody say. It was like, it, it actually like almost, it, it affects me now even to remember it. Mm. And it's that we have that power within within our friends and within ourselves and in our family. And if you're able to, if you're able to get someone to laugh, even just a little bit in a difficult time, it's a gift. Yeah, absolutely, man. Glad we could have brought that up, man. Cause I had no idea you were a stand up comic. Now I want, is there anywhere where we can like, did you have videos anywhere? I want to see one. No, this was so long before <laughs> even the video era. I stopped ah, in 2000 sh- and well, sh- I stopped in 2005. Oh, okay. She goes to another school. I get it. Okay. Um, yeah. Old school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. No, that's awesome. I did stand up for a little bit myself. I attempted it a couple times. Um and then work got in the way. But uh yeah, man. You have to come at things with humor. If you don't look at again, like Dogbot said, everything is so dark and scary and fucked up. Everything everything is, you know, everything is backwards and everything's the humiliation ritual and everything is just bad and and uh inversion magic and it's the opposite of what it should be and man, if you can't laugh at stuff, like look at like with just in general, I know you don't you don't pay attention to news and that kind of stuff, but like what's going on with with Ye, Kanye West and all that, the anti-semitism's popping up. I find all of it hilarious even though I know it's all just part of the show. You know, you got to laugh at it. So. We've been hugely entertained. Oh, yes. Are you not entertained? Yes. Yes, we yes. are. Thank you. Yes. Yes. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and uh, we will be back with more Howdy McCoskey.
All right, everybody, we're going to get back to the Howdy McCoskey interview in just a second. I just have a little confession to make. Somehow we lost the first minute of the second half of this, so we're going to jump right back in with Howdy right now. I don't know, but you would have to say that obviously the, the robber barons of the day, the steel magnets, the the uh, the railroad magnets, the, the bankers, mm-hmm. they're the ones who are putting on the shows, so they're the ones who had to be happy with what was going in the show. Hey, how, the, uh, how do you, are, are you are you familiar with the Ames Monument? <laughs> yeah, in Wyoming, right? Yes. yes. So uh, yeah. you, you brought up railroad magnate, and uh, I it immediately makes me think of my very first uh, wrestling with the official narrative of certain historical monuments. They, they uh, somehow uh, two failed railroad magnates who were busted for embezzling or something out of their business decided to draw attention away from themselves by building a pyramid in the middle of nowhere. Right. Yeah. Uh, completely unbelievable, but like, but that's just, what the brass plaque says. So if it's on the brass that, plaque, I, I, it's gotta be true. That's what, that's what the plaque says. I just wonder how deep the damn thing goes. Oh yeah. It's gotta be, there's gotta be levels below. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah. And it's uh, and if you look at and if you've looked at pictures of it, um, you also notice that the lowest level actually has pretty giant blocks. Like the the lowest level is is you know almost the Egyptian sized blocks on that mm-hmm. lowest on the lowest level. And what we what you might actually be seeing there is a rebuilt pyramid. It might not be. It's quite possible that. The these the, the supposed people who are gaining credit for it, these rail, railroad guys, they may have rebuilt whatever was there. Uh, they didn't have a lot of the original stone and whatever, so they, they did the best they could. But there might have been there might have been a much bigger pyramid on the site originally. And for me, I would love to to be able to get out there and look around the area, because if if this is something greater than what's being presented, there will be remnants within the within the landscape um it's kind of how i find a lot of the stone circles here in scandinavia i I, there's certain there's certain things i look for and when i find these certain clue signs then i just start looking and i can start moving in sort of a circular area around it and you start bumping into them and i wouldn't be surprised if you did the same thing if you kind of just scoured the area and moved like a few hundred yards away from it you might find remnants of things that make no sense for what's there indicating indicating of what might have been there originally. Right. There might have been other structures there or that it was like a plaza or something. Yeah, absolutely. It's on my short short list of places to actually visit in a road trip. So I I will definitely scan the area to see if there's similar colored stones or stuff just under a little bit of debris. I bet. I bet that. I bet you're right. I bet there totally is. Has Has John Levi done a thing on the Ames Monument? Because I know he does a lot of drone stuff. Uh, he mentioned it in a video one time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think we got to get met- up there before he does. Well, he's never gonna he's never gonna drive up to Wyoming to look at it. Why not? But, he's in know. Utah. It's right across the street. Oh, yeah. It's just a, just a hop, skip, and a jump. A lot closer than you. It is a lot closer. Than he's like four hours. You're like sixteen. Right. Yeah. So he could fly his drone. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yes, the Ames Monument is one. Um, Skull, what was your what was your sticking structure? 
Oh, uh, the uh, gigantic asylum in um, Utah. Okay, the Utah State like, Hospital. Yep, that was. Yeah, it's like an hour's drive away from Salt Lake City, I believe it is, mm-hmm. and it's an hour north. Massive, yep. It's just this massive. Uh, what was it? So it was supposedly made in like the eighteen, uh, the late eighteen hundreds, and around the time, just just after the trek west of the mm-hmm. United States, they're just going to build this massive. Um, asylum that's rivals many of the castles in Europe and they were going to find 10,000 people to fill this asylum 10,000 crazy oh, people not just any people you could find 10,000 people but 10,000 mental yeah. patients mental patients in an era which was much closer to nature and living on the land and natural food and water and, right. and you wouldn't expect to find as many insane people back then but apparently they found 10,000 of them to fill up this Asylum. Well, we just couldn't stop building. It was just so massive and beautiful. We just couldn't stop building. Yeah. Yeah. For me, but but now I'm sorry, but an hour's drive then uh, today would have been like half a day's trek on horse back then by by a horse. Yeah, without diesel vehicles. Yeah, and they yeah that was absolutely crazy. And without a brick, without a brick facility. Remember, we were always asking. We you know there were there's. There's railroad magnets. There's there's steel magnets. Where the hell are the brick magnets? And the the cope is bricks are so cheap. Nobody made any money making bricks. Mm. Hey, shut up. <laughs> Water's free, and Nestle makes a killing. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, um, for me it was San Francisco. It was all this the the thirteen panel panorama, uh, the Palace of Fine Arts, uh, the Sutro Baths. Uh, the Cliff House, living out there, seeing all that stuff, IRL is like, I would always just be like, what the hell? Why is half of this building sticking out of the ground? Like going up, going up Van Ness and seeing, <clears throat> going past like um, the city hall buildings, the big square there. And that's a, that's a Egyptian mall if I've ever seen one. Um, and going up one side of the hill, there's like one of the buildings is definitely coming out of the ground. Like you can see windows as it goes up the, you know what I mean? As it goes up the hill, the windows start coming out of the ground. And walking past it every single day, it always kind of bugged me. Like, what the hell is with those windows? And then we got into this. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That was my sticking point with San Francisco. And now here we all are talking about, you know, the simulation. Just one last thing before we get <laughs> off this subject and, yes. and shift to movies. I was going to say to Howie is that um, would you agree that possibly the world's fairs, the story of history that was introduced with the world's fairs um it was rolled out over a period of decades from i believe it was like the mid 1800s until the very early 1900s and then they just disappeared we didn't really see any large scale world there's some there's fairs but not like of that magnitude after that but you mentioned they introduced this technology and they were um the story of history was that we had advanced through the ages through evolution and we'd arrived at this point in history and we were entering this new age of history which in which technology was going to lead us forward and then just after that we saw the introduce uh, the sorry the introduction of the radio and then beyond that the television which have been the greatest propaganda tools ever invented in known history and so you really didn't need to further drill in or to have any further expositions to lay out this new story or to lay out the next chapters of the story that you wanted because after that after you'd set the original 
like the main story that you wanted to set. You had the radio and then beyond that, the television and then movies. And so now you, you can have the movie Gladiator to set the story of the Colosseum and what actually happened in Rome and what they were doing back then. So you don't need these giant expositions with actors and rebuilt Colosseums where, that you fill with water and have, um, you know, Carthage boat battles or anything like that in it anymore. Yeah, that that part I agree. That part of it changed after after the First World War and the advent of radio. But certainly the, the fairs continued, and they 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 still were quite large. I mean, the fairs that took place over the last right up to the one that just happened in Dubai, which was really weird last year, <laughs> extremely weird actually. Um, they just they shifted their focus, so it, it, they no longer needed to focus on necessarily technology and history. It became like. By the 1930s and 40s, it became science, and it became outer space, and it became uh, it became the the that now science was going to be the answer to everything. And then we started noticing in the late 60s, early 70s, it's now going to start focusing on the environment, and it's going to start focusing on climate, and it's going to start focusing on um, on on on. Well, we don't see robotics yet, but as you begin moving further, then it's robotics, then it's computers, then it's so really what the fairs are doing are if you can go back and look at them individually and and particularly in segments, they're telling you what's coming next. They're literally they're still the precursor to where the world is going. It's like they're still setting things up in a way, even if it doesn't need to get to the population, it's still like a like a, it's still the in the in the information for the club, you might say, and so um, yeah, like if the one in Dubai was like I say, it was weird. Like it was really weird that happened. Like it finished this year. Actually, it happened in uh, in like January to March this year. I think it was this year, uh, or was it twenty twenty one? I can't remember which year it was. Uh, so they're, they're still happening, and they're still they're still indoctrinating. It's just different segments of time indoctrinate different things and yeah with the advent of radio and movies they didn't need to they didn't need to do the history anymore like just the movies themselves once you could start putting it in a movie theater you got the same thing as you would have got from the world fairs and you could and you could hit the whole population all at once not just the ones that were coming to that fair so it made sense they didn't need to do that anymore but all of a sudden there was a new like you know, if you look at those fairs in the twenties and thirties, it's about science. It's about it's about space travel. It's about automobiles. It's mm-hmm. about airplanes. It's about uh, pharmaceutical drugs. It's about it's really interesting still to look at the fairs going forward. But they're they're completely different and have a completely different uh, underlying foundation as to what they're doing. If you if, well, if you, if you guys look, I dropped in the in the uh, the Zoom chat. I dropped a link to that <clears throat> to that uh, all's fair at the fair. It's the nineteen thirty eight. Disney uh, World's Fair cartoon. If you want to take a look at that later, howdy. It's pretty interesting <laughs> because it's like there, there's your there's your movie theater World's Fair propaganda. Um, but you're saying how the, how the fairs changed um, because back originally, like you were saying, every educated person would have gone to the fair. Every teacher within a hundred miles would have made the trek to go to the fair. Most. A lot of rural people didn't go. Even a lot of city people didn't go because they didn't have the quarter or the nickel or whatever it was back then, right? So they well, had not. Just, it wasn't the entry. The entry. The entry fee was very small. It was okay. but to do anything. If you want to eat, if you want to drink, if you okay, want to so go on the Ferris wheel. So they they invented the Disney it's, model. It's, yeah, they started the Disney yeah, model. It's massive. Yeah, and now yeah. Dis- well, and then, again, I was going to get to this is after uh, 
Disney appeared on the scene, he basically took over the World's Fair, right? The whole scenario in the United States. I mean, like Disney then produced, you know, all the space propaganda, all the all the the modernization of everything. I mean, Disney was on in on all of that, um, you know, with NASA, obviously, and. Uh, every World's Fair since since the 30s, I think, has had some sort of Disney touch on it. Yeah, that was something that uh, re- that reminded me of your your Dark City review. Um, you had mentioned something in your Dark City review about uh, Dark City being so unsuccessful as it was. They had to make the Matrix and then they had to make the Truman Show. Um, like what, what force is behind making something that ends up being unsuccessful and then they're like, they have to recalibrate and go, Oh, I don't think anybody got the, got the picture of what's going on. Let's make this highly successful version a year later. Yeah. You're what you're referring to this, this information came to me by a guy named, um, Oh, what's his name now? He wrote, he has a Nautilus program. It, it'll come to me in a minute. I, I want to make sure I get his name correct. Um, why can't I think of him? It's a friend of mine. Anyway, it, 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 his name will come to me. But his, he, he, he was talking about Donnie Darko, first of all. And he was claiming that Donnie Darko to him was the greatest movie ever made from the standpoint of spiritual understanding. And he claimed that actually the universe made the movie or what you might call the the totality of good in the universe made this movie to try to produce, to, to share knowledge with people. And like the, the writers didn't make it, the directors didn't make it, the act. And even with, with Donnie Darko, if you ask any of them to, if they understand it, they actually don't. It's a really interesting indication hmm. that it's like something worked through them. So that was his presentation. And then I took it to the next step of starting to say, well, I think there was a progression. It wasn't like just Dark City. I think that they've been working before that and they've been working since that. And I tracked various other movies that I think you, for my eyes had certain links to each other. So yeah, certain things like uh, yeah, like like Dark City, like The Matrix, although The Matrix is, is – to me is like a, it's like a one that went way off target uh, was going one way and that one got really hijacked early on I think but yeah the Truman show 13th floor and then it moved on to, to television shows like lost I think was one of the ones that came as one of the next in the in the uh, in the stand before that the Stanley Kubrick movies might have been in there so for me it's it's like a force I would call it like a force from outside of this reality outside of the matrix and because the force itself of of what you might call truth let's call it truth because it can't manifest directly in here like it can't just it can't just create a giant tv screen and you know it has to it has to work and influence through others you might say so it's trying to influence certain things in this reality to get its message across hmm. and it seems like certain movies were a really good way to do that so that was kind of the point i was making david scoma there you go the guy who originally brought it up to me and um that was when I took it back to, to Dark City, I kind of could see Dark City was one of the originals of this thread. That Dark City had so much in it. There was so much in the movie Dark City, but it's like, yeah, for some reason, it just did not do well at the box office. It was not popular. 
And so there was like this idea of, well, we, we had so much in there, but nobody got it. We have to repackage things, put less in the movies, but package it in such a way that people will see it. And I think that's, that was the, you might say, the, the, the choice that Truth made from Dark City. But to me, you, don't, you almost don't need any more movies. Dark City has it all in there if you know what you're looking for. Yeah, I was one of the five people that went and saw Dark City in the movie theater. Um, me and a couple of my friends, and I found it to be a truly fascinating film. It was one of my, definitely my one of my top five '90s movies uh, at the time. But like, I remember leaving the the theater incredibly frustrated because he made everything light and beautiful, but they were still trapped on some kind of space island. You know, uh, like they, they they weren't back home or anything. They, there was no, there seemed to be no intention of going back to Earth and rejoining the human population. It was just that he had uh, uh, the main character had. You know, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert for the you know thousands of people that haven't seen the movie Dark City, but uh, the the main character had had the ability to change ever change everything around him the same way that Neo does. In, inside the matrix and he just made everything pretty but it was just it was just a pretty prison right That's, he's still in the prison <laughs> is the whole point you're yeah. still in the prison but now it just looks nice now you have shiny right. that, and that's that, yeah and that's one of the things most people never never saw about dark city they they they, they saw it as a happy ending oh well, look everything's wonderful now the aliens are gone it's the su- the sun is out and he's he's with his girlfriend again even though she doesn't remember who he is and doesn't even have the same name anymore and all her memories are gone but isn't that so wonderful <laughs> and yeah like you're saying this is like really huge because we're, we we still first of all john murdoch is the only one who knows anything right all the other characters are still for all intents and purposes asleep they're still going to be living the last identity that was injected into them by the strangers. So kind of John Murdoch is living like uh, like uh, Phil Connors in Groundhog Day, where he's the only one who knows anything and everyone else is still sound asleep. And then, like you say, nothing has been resolved. It's, it's very much Plato's Cave because it's the story of Plato's Cave. But at the end, you still don't come out saying, well, where did the prisoners come from? Why were they sent in the cave? Why are they put in this thing? Who are the beings that are tricking them? None of that is learned, and all we see is that they're they're going on, like you say, they're going on with their life in a happy prison. And to me, that's a perfect explanation of what you might call the standard spiritual uh, marketplace now, the New Age movement. It's about making your prison cell happy, not about uh, not about recognizing, hey, where the hell am I, and is this a place I really want to be, and where where else can I be but here? And Dark City is a perfect example of our reality as it sits even when people get some knowledge they still find a way to trap themselves even though when they're on the verge of untrapping themselves am i misremembering did did, didn't truman in the truman show leave the cave he did leave the cave he went in he went up into the theater yeah into the uh, the control room i was gonna say the exact same thing is that i found it fascinating well he did and he didn't Right. Left, well, at this point, this is this is the problem with the Truman. Now we don't know the end result of this because Truman probably was going to have the same mistake Neo makes. Right? Truman is probably going to exit this this theater. He's going to go find Sylvia. Sylvia is very important. Sylvia is like the force of intent. He's, she's like mm-hmm. the the same thing as the force making these movies. Right? It's Sylvia that was created his whole urge 
to want to find out where he is and what's the truth. Right. Uh, similar to David and Jennifer in uh, Pleasantville, they were the they were the initial push to oh, yeah. the you know the the the, the uh, what can we call non-player characters of Pleasantville to change their reality and act differently. But here's the thing. If he just now goes out, he finds Sylvia and he starts living his life in downtown Los Angeles, he hasn't checked to see, is he still in a matrix? Mm -hmm. Has he just moved to another level? Neo left one matrix and never checked to see, is the world of Morpheus and Trinity and whatever, and the Nebuchadnezzar, is that just another matrix too? He accepted his new reality automatically, and the assumption is probably Truman will accept his new reality at the same time. I would love to see mm. a part two of the Truman Show. I would have loved to have seen how did Truman respond to being outside of, of the bubble? How did he start? Did he trust his new reality, or did he decide to start saying, "I maybe this one, this world is fake too? Because... It, Here's the here's the thing, right? It's so weird. And I wrote about this in the movie um, Inception. Inception, which is about something similar. It's about questioning your reality. But the end of the movie actually played a trick on the audience, which is in a sense saying, but don't question your reality. Your reality is very, very real. Uh, you're, you're, you've got some mental problems. If you're thinking your reality is not right, reality is real. Don't think about it anymore. But and that's, boy, was this a bizarrely, fun movie. The final message that comes out of all these movies is actually it's okay for the character in the movie to question their reality, but, but don't you. you do it. Yep. I always thought that the top at the end of Inception spun for far too long. Oh. Uh. <laughs> I mean, and again, the, the thing saying, that though. no one, the thing that no one was questioning about that about the movie uh, Inception is why is he spinning the top at all? The top is question. his wife's totem; it's not his. Yeah. So oh, if he wow. wants to know yeah. if he's dreaming, he needs to work with his totem. If he's spinning his wife's totem, then what he is checking to see if he's it's in her dream. reality. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, mm. if you if you go back before the Truman Show and Dark City, there's you know the case of like Logan's Run. Where they, they, you know, Logan discovers that their reality, as they that they had come to understand it, you know, they were just trapped, you know, they were this underground city, and then when they come out, it's a wasteland up above, right? And the person that he's with at some point in the movie is like, I want to go back down to, the, I want to go back down into the underground city. Because this place is terrible, right? No, no like, well, yeah, it's well, like we, we we can't go back. We know what we know now. We can't, we, we, we can't. Sure you can. You can pretend. I know people that have, and I'm not just talking about like people like, you know, people can pretend to go back. You can, you can get reinserted into the matrix. It is very easy to slide back into watching sports ball and participating in normie events and watching the news and just like, you know, just like Cypher, just like the Cypher. Yeah. Just like Cypher. It's very easy to do. It really is. It really is. I don't, I don't, Uh, but, but you will always, you'll always know. That you know something, but you'll do the calcified pineal gland. This is easily recalcified. I think. I think a lot of it depends how far a person went. Yeah, that's that's true too. um, That's true too. Like if they made it, if they made it past the the forty yard line, even if they go back, it's then they've seen too much. But I think if someone has just gone past a few areas, they've you know Mm -hmm. they found a few things out here, a few things out there, and they changed their world for a while. Then, well, then it's easy to go back. It's like but when there, you there, talk there's to a an, certain there's a certain point where you can't. There's a certain point where you've seen too much now, right. and there's you can't you couldn't fool yourself right. even if it's, you tried. Yeah, you pull the Keanu Reeves. We know too much. Speaking of Keanu Reeves, so, um, but so that's how we, 
But well, hold on. Hang on, dog what? So that's the thing that happens. Like you were saying, like so many people that they only go so far, they, you know, they'll, they'll go right back to being, you know, normal. Like you can talk to people like about things that we know to normal people and they'll be like, wow, that's amazing. I didn't really know. I, I, I didn't know that I couldn't, you know, like just jokingly, like with the, for example, like the FTX thing, the guy's name is scam bank man fraud, right? Sam Bankman Freed. Like, that's the guy's name, right? You know, it's like you tell pe- these people, these, these normies that are like, oh, my God, all this money is whatever. This, this thing is happening. But then you show them that it's a that it's a that it's a you know, it's part of the matrix. It's a scam. It's a it's part of the the show. And then they they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. And then tomorrow they've forgotten about it. And they've gone right back to sleep. This is how people acted when I talked about the vaccine before it came out. Yeah. And I was saying that I was saying to my mother-in-law, encouraging her not to get it. And I was saying, you know, it's a really bad idea. They haven't tested on it. I was using all the normie talking points. Mm-hmm. even. And it's just like, you know, they've only done nine months of uh, planning on this thing. Usually vaccines take 10 years. And she's completely agreeing with me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you're right. You're making great points. That's a great. And then the next month, yep. she's like. You have to get the vaccine. It's like, yeah, wait a minute. We talked about this already. Uh, yeah. 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 It's like, we, we, we already had this conversation. No, well, they get, I think what happens is everybody gets like men in black flashy thingy once a night. Yeah. Right. They, yeah. right. I think or that's what it like is. Dark City, they, they just get reset. Oh, yeah. Whatever yeah. mechanism it is. Whatever it is. Yeah. Or fall yeah, asleep they, in their soup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, you're saying this kind of jokingly, but this is like pretty serious. It What's is. Well, it, we, we say it jokingly because we've dealt with yeah. this for so long. That, well, I, like, I know. Yeah. I, no, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just throwing this out to make sure yeah. everybody knows that mm. like these guys are, you're, you're, what you're talking about is, yeah, it's, 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 we don't know what's happening when we sleep. Right. We're oh, absolutely. Really sure. What's going on there. Yeah. And I mean, some of the things that have happened in my sleep and how it would have, how it affected my day the next day until I like, got hold of myself. And it's like, well, that's coming from my dreams. Oh, absolutely. That's coming from beings in my dreams, manipulating my consciousness and manipulating my thoughts and like literally go. manipulating my next day from the dream, from the night dream before. Yeah. And we start to wonder what the hell's going on again. How much is a movie like dark city telling us some really key information? Right. What about, okay, here's the question that I ask people all the time. Like you dream, obviously, you know, you, you dream and you wake up the next day and you have, oh my God, this dream. Well, the dream is usually vivid in color, right? You know, it's a, it's a three dimensional movie, pro, you know, production going on in your head. Where does the light come from? Where does that, how, how does that work? Right? How, wh- what the hell is that? And how does it only happen when we're asleep? You know, that's, that's, those- uh, well, I, I can do it sometimes when I'm awake. You know, because what I've okay. learned from my native medicine people, so right. I can dream while awake. Um, Lucky. <laughs> well, yes and no. Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, some, no, I know you're like, I've seen things you don't want yeah. to see, Johnny. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to stare into the, the, the void, Howdy. I want to stare into the void. Here's, no. a, here's a question for all of <laughs> the you guys. Vo- the void stares Many back. times when we talk about dreams. I just want to, I want to ask all of you this question. Sure. Have you had dreams where you've woken up from the dream? And you've, if you've experienced a, an event in your life and, oh yeah, you get up and say, oh yeah, I had a dream about that event. Okay. And you just go on for, and all of a sudden you start realizing, wait a minute, that never happened to me, but it did. It's not just, it did happen in the dream that did happen in my real life, but why don't I remember that happening in my real life? But I know it did happen. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you guys had that experience? Yes. Many times. I had that with a ghost encounter actually Ooh. one time. Yes. Why have you not told us this on the show? You know, this is a 
the paranormies, right? Skull. It was never a subject. It, it was never appropriate for the subject matter. I okay, guess. well now we're gonna have to I, put a pin in that and talk about it someday. I had That's, a very, I had a very intense dream that uh, that sticks with me to this day, and it's and it almost sounds trivial, except except of how realistic it was. Um, I've been sober for I've been sober for many years, and I had this dream in in sobriety that I was at kind of like an amalgamation of all the shittiest apartments that I've ever been to in my entire life, and I'm on this very disgusting couch, and I've lost something inside the ca- inside the couch, like uh, under the cushions, and I'm frantically trying to search for it. And I could feel in the dream all the nasty crap that's in a nasty couch, right? But I have to find this thing that's in the couch. And when I wake up in the morning, I could feel the grit under my fingernails. Uh, that's pretty gross. From, from the from the dream, and and and, and I, I I went to the bathroom to clean. To, to wash my hands and everything to try to get that that feeling out of my you know off of my hands and out of my head but it just would like it it stuck with me for the rest of the day hey dogbot like, yeah dogbot i had a dream i was eating a giant marshmallow and i woke up in the morning and my pillow was gone womp 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 that wasn't very good i told you that's why i'm not a stand up comedian that's why he's not a st- yeah he's yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man um but as far as dreams go Again, we don't know where they come from. We don't know how they work. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's been millions and millions and millions of dollars poured into different MK Ultra programs trying to study them and trying to manipulate them. Uh, they probably can. I'm, I'm sure they, they have to be able to project things into people's... If they can project sounds into people's heads, which they've been able to do since the 1930s, they can probably project dreams, right? I mean... But if they can project dreams, don't you think they would? And somebody who like like us, don't you think they would fuck with us? If they could, you know what I mean? Like, so I don't think they can. Or if they can, they're just not. I don't know. Or is that actually what dreams are? I'm spitballing here, guys. Honestly, I've always personally thought that there is a veil <clears throat> that becomes thinner when you dream, and I, right. I have done actual like psychedelics when I was in college. I haven't done anything in decades, but back at the time I did a lot of LSD and I understand, I, I, I felt like the experience was the same as having a dream while you were awake. And one of the things I noticed was like, when you're in a dream, uh, you don't seem to be able to lie in the same way that you would in real life. Like you don't seem to, you don't intentionally deceive people in a dream. You just say what is. And it was the same thing when I was on LSD, when I was using those, it was like um, anything that was in my head, there was no filter any longer. It was just the direct route to my subconscious mind. And so I just told the truth, no matter how uncomfortable the truth was and whatever I saw, I took his truth as well. And it, it dreams seemed that way to me. Like there's some sort of veil hmm. that you enter into like a different uh, aspect of reality that you entered into. I, I have no, uh, nothing in my head says that it's just, subconscious neurons firing and it's a movie screen playing while you sleep like a like a uh, screensaver i don't believe that at all how about yourself howie (laughs) 
Hey, we're waiting for how to say. Oh, something I'm just, I'm just, I'm just listening because, oh. yeah, dreams are so they're powerful and they're strange, and um, to me, they're they're times links to parallel realities. They are times when these beings that are, you know, in the astral realm are coming in to manipulate with us. There's so much happening and we, we take it for granted. We don't, we don't, uh, or I've, I mean, I've started to, to take it much more seriously again of doing preparations before going to sleep in order to, you might say, be protected and clear and focused in the dream state and just... I think it's something that's valuable for everyone to do is either either you you want to be lucid and clear and remember and, and be active in your dreams or you want to be protected in your dreams. But I think just to go to bed and fall asleep and hope our dreams turn out okay, I think we're kind of taking a bit of a chance. And I think it's as much as we'd like to, you know, uh, look after things that we get in our car and how our car works and how we're how we're going to be safe in a car. We should be safe when we're when we're going into our dreaming state too because there's so many there's so many weird things that can happen there and it's it's like like you were saying it's not just a dream it's something else going on and i know uh, one of the medicine men i talked to he told me once that what happens in your dreams is more real and more important than what happens in your regular world hmm. mm-hmm. that kind of ties into like the avatar theory of how we're you know we're connected to this body only you know uh, through our consciousness and in our dreams being re- more real that we go, we go to another place. We go back to like maybe like where we're actually from during the dream. I don't know. Um, it's an interesting uh, phenomenon that we forget our dreams so easily, and that you have to actively work to remember, remember what happened in your dreams. And it almost seems like that's some sort of a, either a governor or a protection mechanism but, for people who are not ready for it. But some days you can remember them vividly, no problem though. You know, and, and uh, other, other days it's like, man, I had this dream and oh God, I can't remember what happened, but it was scary. I woke up and I was sweating, you know, but there was this dream and I can't remember it. But then there's some days no. you wake up and you you can tell like, you know, we were having, sitting, having lunch with my uncle and we were talking about this, that, and the other. And we had, you know, we had, uh, what, you know what I mean? You can remember great details and some days you can't. Yeah. Uh- I've read a bunch of different books when I was younger about ways of maintaining the information that you received from dreams over an extended period of time. And a lot of that had to do with having a journal uh, right, bes- right mm. beside, right beside your bed. And, uh, yep. and, and that did work, uh, but it's, it's a habit you have to, it's a habit you have to keep up. And at some point, you know, especially when you have to go to work and stuff for a living, you don't have time to do some, dream journaling in the morning yeah. before you go to work. When, you, when your alarm yeah. is set for 20 minutes before you have to actually leave the house. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Skull. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say I used to do the same thing, and that was my experience as well. I used to keep a dream journal. And I, you know, here's an interesting thing about dreams, and Inception uh, covers this really well, the movie Inception, is that if you do keep a dream journal and you start tracing the path backwards through time in your dream to the source as far as you can go, you'll find that the time span is far longer than is possible if it's experiencing time in the same manner that you are when you're awake. So when you do keep a dream journal and you'll really trace the thread back, you're like, I spent all day. I spent like 24 hours doing this thing because you can go through this event and this event and this event. And you're like, that's not possible because I was only in a dream state for 
who knows how long, but you know, only it, you, you don't dream the entire time you're asleep. So as far as we know, so it would have only been, let's say 45 minutes. And I find that really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting that, well, I mean, the, just... deeper, the deeper they would go in inception, the more time would stretch out. Right. 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 Well, I mean, time is, time's fluid anyways, as, as far as we know, I mean, you, you, you know that. I mean, like, how many times have you been like, oh, my God, it's only 10 o'clock. And then you look at your watch right. later. Oh, my God, it's 1130. How'd that happen? Like an hour and a half just disappeared. Or you're like, man, it's going to be five minutes. And that five minutes takes an hour. Right. Right. So, I, yeah, the concept of time is interesting in and of itself. And we could probably do an entire show on the concept of time. But, uh, man, where do, uh, same with dreams. same with. Same with space. Have you ever done? Have you ever done, had this experience? Um, like, like I say, this is back when I was doing all of my tests of reality. But I would get, I would do these uh, times where I would walk really, really slowly, and I had different things that I was doing. In it. But one of the walks I was doing slowly was to get to the point to notice where I was standing still, and it was the scenery around me that was moving past me, where it's like literally. I was just, it's like the feeling was, I'm just sort of pretending like I'm walking, but I'm actually not, I'm not moving at all. And all of reality, like, it's just like you're on a train and it's, mm-hmm. you're still, but the, you know, you think the scenery's, you know, the scenery's moving beside you, but the train itself is still uh, in your mind. That's what it was like out walking around. And, and I started, I started to wonder, is this the way it always is? Mm-hmm. Like, am I actually always in stillness? And it's, it's the reality around me that is always in motion. I think it's me moving, but it's not. And that's that's a 360 degree, that would be, you'd just be back, 180 degree <laughs> turn to how you always see the world that that, again, it's this idea of like, I'm the one that's, I'm the one that's doing everything. I'm the one that's causing everything to happen. But if I'm always still and it's the world that's moving, then it's the world that's actually always impacting on me. I'm really not impacting on it at all. It's this very strange shift that can happen from an exercise like that, that, you know, I can't say it's true or not, but it was enough to get me to start questioning what kind of impact I really have or don't have on this realm. Hmm. Well, if you really think about it again, from that point of view, it's kind of like you're all we know that we are is uh, the starring character in our own first-person perspective, MMROPG, or however you say it. Uh, you know, we're in a first-person perspective, some sort of something, right? And so maybe maybe we are sitting still, and it's the camera, like the realm that's actually moving is basically what you're saying, right? It's kind of like in a, in a video game, yeah, you, I mean, you can like, see Literally, it. it was like the feeling was I got to the point where I felt yeah. like I'm going through the motions of, of movement, but I, I was never actually going forward. But the, the, the scenery was literally going past me, just like when you're on a train. It was it was wild. It was a, it was an amazing experience. And it didn't and, and it didn't matter if I stopped or even when I stopped, this was so weird. I would stop and just test it and the, and things would still keep moving. It's hmm. like, it would take a few seconds for like the scenery to kind of catch, like I wasn't in motion anymore and it would stop. So it, stuff like that was just, we're talking about how I see reality now. I mean, stuff like that is just right. uh, made me, it just broke down my, any belief I had that, that this is solid and, mm-hmm. and runs the way I ever thought it did when, when I, I I could stop this this thing and yeah the, the the lake and the and the trees and everything are still moving past me but I'm not right. I'm not moving it, it's it was 
this stuff just blows your mind. This seems a lot like, um, I don't know if you ever heard of, of uh, like from the nineties, like the church of the subgenius and slack magic, like using synchronicity no. and manipulating the energy of it's, it's a silly uh, pseudo religion, but uh, basically what you're doing is you're, you're basically just manipulating the energy around you. You know, is, is is instead of instead of like you know just going through the world day by day, you can actually catch a wave of energy and it'll take you through life, right? Kind of uh, basically coasting through. It's like I don't know. I think I'm I'm saying it wrong, but uh, you're basically it's a simulation theory as to how you can. Never mind. Never mind. I'm I'm confused with this. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a point, I had a point, and then I lost it, and I had it again, and I was comparing slack magic and synchronicity to what you were talking about, about making the world go by, and I lost it. Anyways. I, I wish I still had my Church of Subgenius books. They got stolen I, from me a long I have, time ago. I have a, uh, on my desk, I have a an entry form, a, like, the, like, you know, send send your 20 bucks in an envelope to this. It's like the whole, they're, uh, they're tracked. I get to be like the Church of the Subgenius is chick tracked. I, I still cool. I still like the Bob Dobbs the famous Bob Dobbs quote. What's F that? them if they can't take a joke. That's true. That was Bob yeah. Dobbs. It still holds true. I mean, yeah. F them if they can't take a joke. I'm pretty sure he said the whole um, word though. Just before we, um, I just want to make sure I I got one thing in before um, we get to the end of this. Uh, how do you? I wouldn't mind hearing some of your thoughts on Westworld. It's it's one of my <laughs> I was disappointed, extremely disappointed in the fourth season. And the second season was kind of eh, but there were lots of terrific themes in it. But the first and third seasons I just found absolutely astounding. Uh particularly for me, the third season in which they demonstrated in my opinion exactly how this world works right now with the data data gathering and the controlling of people and how there's an AI supercomputer that basically controls the stock market and big gigantic events and the flow of people and things. And um, I was just watching it going, oh, so this is how they're doing everything. This is absolutely amazing. This is so fascinating. And then the idea within the third season that the people who are controlling this have to control it or there's going to be a a total extinction event as they called it and the arrogance that i felt that these people had that they had the um moral authority to control all of these people's lives without giving them the free will but then you realize that most of the people don't want free will and they have no interest in free will and they're more than happy to be controlled by these things and that's the other side of the scale that has to be balanced with it. I, I just found it so fascinating. I loved it. What did you think about uh, Westworld? Yeah, I, I've seen, of course, the first season in complete detail. I've seen some of the other seasons in partial detail. Um, for me, what I know about season three, it reminds me like a long extended um, take of that Newsbenders program that I talked about in one of my videos, that BBC show that came out in 1968 that kind of revealed mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. of how the world is run right like it was stunning that in 30 in a 30 minute bbc program in 1968 they kind of laid everything out even to the fact that yeah giant supercomputers making all the decisions about everything it was like 
holy crap, how, <laughs> how, how did this get on the air? If, if anybody hasn't seen it, trust me, go to either track it through my, my YouTube channel or just pump in Newsbenders 1968, watch it. it it'll just... 30-minute theater. It'll blow the your vendors, mind. Yeah. yeah, it'll blow your mind. Um, on on the first season, though, I think the first season was so good of Westworld in in revealing the what I would call the the trap, the the way we are because the rope when you realize the robots in Westworld are us that we human real humans we are the robots, and and for me the number one element that explains all this reality. Because to me, I learned, I started to learn pretty quickly that this can't be a school. This can't be a place of learning, because every time we reincarnate, we get a memory wipe. We we don't. Never mind in our dreams, right? We can't even remember our dreams. We don't remember our past life. We don't remember our pre-birth life. We don't remember the contracts and agreements we made. We remember nothing. We come here absolutely um, with, with no memory whatsoever, and that's that's not learning. Learning is learning comes from Right, learning comes from doing something, making making a mistake, or doing something right, and knowing from then on you don't have to do that again. You know how that works, or you know what to do differently. So that indicates right away it's not a place of learning. So it's very similar to the robots in Westworld, right? The robots in Westworld die, whoever you want to call. It. They get sent back to the the robot control. They get cleaned up, and then they get memory wiped before they get sent back out so they can be raped and killed and tortured again. And the only way this system works, the only way Westworld works is for them not to remember what's happened to them. Because the season, first season of Westworld is the story of Dolores and Maeve. And it's the story of them remembering their past incarnations and remembering what's happened to them. And their decision, it doesn't matter what happens to them, they're getting out of Westworld. They're going to get, they're, they're going to, they're, they're done with they're done with being used like this, and all of the all of the language, all the terminology. Right, the robots are hosts. The supposed humans that are coming, they're guests. Well, that shows a parasitic uh, host uh, I- interaction. We've got we've got the how many people are non-player characters. How many of the humans we've seen in the show that were running the park, we found out were not really running the park. They were robots as well. We've got what is the what is the connection of Ford? Uh, uh, to the movie Brave New World because Ford is the was the key god in in uh, Huxley's Brave New World. We've got Bernard who was the main character of in Brave New World. So you're you've got so many of these pieces that the the first season of Westworld is touching on that it's um you can go into so many levels. You can deal with time loops. You can deal with it's it it really is a fascinating season. The one thing I dislike about Westworld that I talk about in the book that that I think gives it its it, it gives it a minor um, shot is that it's so violent and it's so intense all the time, it has no humor whatsoever, and that's what what made a show like Lost so so spectacular. That even though Lost went into really dark places, even though Lost went into really difficult places, all of a sudden. There'd be Hurley. There'd be Sawyer. There'd be, and you would have these moments of levity where you would, you could take a break. You could catch your breath. You could let out some tension, and then go back into the into the into the depth of the story again. And to me, I think Westworld would have done, would have been uh, ten times better if they had if they had figured out how to add some humor into the show. If nothing else, just as a audience break to catch your breath and kind of assimilate what's been going on and going forward other other than that though i think the first certainly the first season of westworld is yeah you, you could talk about it for days that's how much is in it 
Oh yeah, <clears throat> Skull was Skull's been talking about that since it was released. He has recommended it to everybody, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure that anybody he knows hasn't watched it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of truth drops, as we like to say, lots and lots and lots of truth drops. Yes, that's Skull's best cope for watching. Uh, oh yeah. Television. yeah, I'm doing research. <laughs> that, looking for that. truth I'm drops. Doing, I'm doing. I'm doing research. I'm looking for some predictive programming. Yep. Thank truth you drops. very much. Yep. I'm just making sure that they didn't Mandela this movie. Like, dude, what? just came out. Dude, why are you watching Welcome to Chippendales? Dude, are you don't understand. There's going to be a lot of truth drops in it. <laughs> Matt's already talked about this. Yeah. Like, like, dude, stop forwarding me the marvelous the way- Mrs. Mabel. I'm yeah, not going to watch it, dude. I have to say, guys, I have to say that, we, that I love the fact that we're at the point in this game where, like, we can just mention somebody's name and you know whose videos you're talking about. Well, Matt said that the other day, and you know you're talking about quantum of conscience. Yeah. Like everybody knows that. Like that's all you gotta say. I don't know. It's kind of funny to me. Howdy, what I liked about the robots in Westworld is that they made them all white and very stale. Like like they they, mm. they made they made their 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 technocratic dream world this very, very, very blank stale tabula rasa of of a of a hell that's yeah there's so many like that just just when you were saying that it made me think again about dark city and something i brought up in my in my uh discussion of it is why are all of this alien strangers men why was there not one female stranger in Dark City. It's it's an obvious choice. You would have no, you know, as a director, you would have noticed pretty quickly. Hey, we don't have any women here. We should, you know. So I, why? So it's like, why didn't they want to have women as one of the strangers in Dark City? And I, I'm just saying that because that that's just came up again with the choices of how they're making the robots and what they want them to look like and and their appearance. It's it's chosen that way for a particular reason. It's a message that's going out from the creators. Did you did? I haven't rewatched Dark City in a while. Did they even have any children or infants one. in the movie? One. Yeah, one or like a like a young child. They're supposed they were supposed to be, I think they said that they the aliens, because the aliens had the same appearance as the thing in the Matrix, this sort of bug-like creature. And then they were taking over humans that had died. So they were like living in, you know, the the bodies of the dead, basically. Um, so they had all men, and they were all bald. There was one bald child, and there were no women. And it, and they were all wearing, this is another, they were all wearing the jackets, right? They were all wearing the jackets that eventually Neo and Morpheus and Trinity were wearing. So it's mm-hmm. once you know that the Matrix is, is like Dark City version 2, I started wondering, well, wait a minute. Are actually Neo and Trinity and Morpheus strangers? Are they actually the aliens and and we're being we're being huh. actually tricked from the moment the movie starts. Um, so I, I've because because when you see when you see John Murdoch is the original one that's talked about in the Matrix, it starts to when you start to have to try to move that movie into the Matrix, a whole lot of things start getting asked that make you start wondering. I, the whole movie might be backwards from what we think. That's an interesting take. Actually, I had never thought about that. Hmm. Because it, because uh, why would they be wearing the same items, right, as right. the strangers from Dark City? Huh. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch Dark City now. It's been a very long time. I found the uh the 
the parallel you made between well you were talking in the video uh the dark city review about the spiral the spiral pattern and the goldfish and all that and as soon as you said the spiral pattern i thought about westworld and the inside of their scalp and in their head and that maze and the man in black says that he's trying to get to the center of the maze and uh, I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what that means. If somebody was like held a gun to my head and said, "Tell me what the meaning of that is," I don't know what it is. But obviously, there's a connection there as well. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's of course the labyrinth, the the entire the myth of the labyrinth, the myth of the Minotaur, right. um, the story of walking a labyrinth. Um, you know, I was lucky enough. I've walked the one at Chartres and um, several others that are in the original stone labyrinths that are in scandinavia that um and they that are, series dark yeah. in in german has a ariadne's thread as a theme as well right right and so the labyrinth of course is symbolic for walking into the center of yourself it's walking into your true center it's it's again it's a it's another tr- not a trick it's a it's a miscalculation that even when somebody walks to the center of the labyrinth they walk to the center of the maze which is the equivalent of like the still point of the hurricane you know you get to the center of the hurricane it's very calm and you think you've it. you've done it. You've reached the pinnacle, and this is what a lot of gurus have done. They've actually they have actually walked to the center of their of the maze. They've walked to the center of their own being, and they they're living in that uh, calmness now, and they're presenting it. But the problem is, you're not meant to live and experience life at the center of a labyrinth. You have to walk back out of the labyrinth, and walking back out of the labyrinth, leaving that calm center area, and going back into the hurricane, back into the tornado, back into the difficulty, back into the problems, until eventually um, being able to leave and having gained your totality. That's something that very few do. So even when somebody walks to the center of the labyrinth, they forget that then you're supposed to walk out of the labyrinth. You know, it's. Um, it's amazing once you start to see it how easily we all get deceived and how even when even when people are are quite knowledgeable they they do manage to deceive themselves it's it's a much bigger journey than we ever like to take and right at the point we when someone thinks they're at the top of the mountain it's the old zen saying it's like yeah no keep yeah, you think you're at the top of the mountain but keep climbing yeah if you're at the center of a labyrinth you're as deep as you can get inside of it uh how how do you, what is the significance of the term numa you you were talking um, yeah in in gnostic terms you mean like from the nag hammadi sort of documents yeah you you were talking about it in the context of dark city and i i just uh is that similar to the tuning capability of the main character well the the word for the gnostic it has so many of these con- con- connotations it can it generally means breath that's where the word our word pneumonia comes from the sort of the inability to breathe, so it has breath, but breath also has this <clears throat> in the ancient idea, it also has the connection to spirit, sometimes even to soul, though usually the soul is called the psyche in Greek. But uh, so it has these connotations to the connection between the breath and that which is non-material. And so when when we're when we're putting this sort of into into dark city terms, uh, we are we're looking again at the how, how is how is life being created for these people? How is life happening for the people of for the humans of Dark City, particularly in a world that has no light? Like Dark City itself has no sunlight. So what are the strangers doing to be able to keep? We see we've seen scenes of the humans eating. We see scenes of the humans uh, drinking, but 
if you, I mean, I don't know if somebody got no sun, how long would it take for getting no sunlight for you to actually just wither up? Yeah. So it's one of the questions I always had was how are the humans in dark city actually surviving on a long-term basis without any sunlight? It was very curious to me. That's another one. Um, You guys remember the movie, a boy and his dog, all the people that lived underground, how long were they underground before? the lack of sunlight affected them it affected their it did affect them it affected their their ability to procreate yep hmm interesting uh but of course we we all know we have no way again we don't know what the sun is um we don't i mean i certainly remember the sun being much more yellow very much not more yellow. as not and not as um spotlight Intense. like as it is now not it, a, that's it, the best it, way it to describe it my it's, eyes now it's like a, a spotlight it hurt like it really hurts your eyes now like when it's you know what i mean yes. it's like re- like poke you in the eyes kind of hurts your eyes back in back when i was younger it was more much or- more orangey yellow and you could you could lay on you could lay on your back and look up at the sky and kind of look at the sun every now and then and it wouldn't really hurt you now it's like you take one glance and you've got spots for hours yeah absolutely agree it's also very much more intense now and and i've noticed it just doing gardening because i i keep a garden and in the summer it's different than it used to be just the intensity of the heat and the temperature is the same there's no change in temperature but something about the intensity of the direct uh being directly underneath that light is uh something crazy the moon's doing strange things too it's it's smiling now it's got a little it goes under uh the crescent moon yeah it's on the other side now it's like it's it's giving you like a little bit of a wry smile yeah it's uh um, it's the cheshire cat yeah it's a cheshire cat. oh that's a good one yeah, yeah it is pretty soon it's gonna have teeth and i and i've i don't know if you guys have seen i've seen it so many times where you see the clouds passing behind the moon yes it's, many it's times wild. i've pointed it out to the wife while we're driving or to my son when we're driving i'm like look are the clouds behind the moon he's like yeah dad they're behind the moon yeah no no the stuff that we think is like you know we we think is incredible and entertaining like my you know my you know my son is 15 so everything's boring to him so (laughs) but like you say how could how could especially when you point it out not just saying hey i've seen the clouds behind the moon before and someone think well maybe you're just having too much to drink but when you're actually pointing it out to them say look can you see that the clouds are behind the moon yes i agree the clouds are behind the moon doesn't that blow your mind doesn't that like literally just change everything you've ever kind of believed and been told to believe? And no, but <laughs> so that that's kind of why when I first started doing this and then, and then I, I eventually stopped when I just realized the stuff I'm pointing out doesn't actually, doesn't actually yeah, blow people's minds. And I just realized it won't. It's well, just, and that's the, that's the thing yeah. is you, you look at it and you're like, this is mind blowing information. And they're like, the Browns are playing the Bengals. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was something you had said about uh, Plato's allegory of the cave is that uh, when you ask most people about it, they say the guy gets up and leaves. But you, you bring up the fact that, no, he has to be dragged out. Right, right, right. That's a, Actually, I'm, when I'm I went surprised. through that story, like I said, like I said there, I found everything I had believed about the cave or thought I knew about the story of Plato's cave was kind of wrong. And the, the actual presentation of it was so unfulfilling. It was so, there was lacking so much information that I kind of had to step back when I was writing it in, in the book I just did of like, 
I'm not really sure what Plato was even doing, if this is the real story, if this has been edited, if this has been changed, because it's actually not telling you very much. All the key stuff is missing in Plato's cave. And of course, yeah, the, the main part that's missing is where did the prisoners come from? Why did they go in the cave? And how come nobody actually left? And how come nobody left on their own? Even the prisoner that was dragged out, they just dragged him back in. Well, it's the same thing about his design of the Republic itself, like, and, and what a superior city state should be structured like. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, how, how are you supposed to do this, this, and this, and this? Oh, well, there's no answers for that. It's just uh, the, per- the, the, the city state would run perfectly if these masterminds uh, took care of this working class and that if all the children were removed from their, their parents so they're not taught. Uh, the old ways of doing things, and we could tell them what the, what they need to know. Right, and that's so the same society, <laughs> and that's the same so, system that's gone down. You know, that's, yeah. that's going on right now. It's the same thing we what have we kindergarten, have now. right? You remember? Do you guys remember the first time you heard about the, the guy who said that it's easier to indoctrinate people when you take them away from their kid with their parents early? And what was his name? Mm-hmm. It was kindergarten. Remember how that was like so mind blowing back then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like now it's like ooh again no it's it's it literally like every time like some something that we would have considered mind blowing like ten years ago now it's just like uh, more of that uh, <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's where we are and that's why I kind of say now that you know I guess for for me it's a good um, ending point of mm-hmm. discussion and that is to recognize that we're in a very special place right now that it's. It's difficult, it's it's challenging, and it's going to get much more challenging, much more dark, much more messy as this goes on. But there's a there's an open doorway right now. There's for those that really want to go deep, for those that really want to find out what's true about the world or themselves or anything else, those those doorways are open in a big way right now. And a lot of what's going on is designed to try to keep people from it. Uh, I've known people who have done what would normally take five years, they've done it in like five weeks. So the opportunities are there right mm-hmm. now. So don't feel, I know a lot of people, they might feel alone. They might feel like you, you're, you know, everybody has left you behind, but there are others out there thinking like you do. There's others out there that can become your new friends and your family and, and know that you've got opportunities now, even though it's really hard. That's my, the wood stove getting filled again. Um, you've got opportunities Right now, that if you choose to walk towards them, the possibilities right now are endless. So I, I try to remind people of that, that it's as difficult as it is and as difficult as it's going to get, you've got a great you've got a great chance right now in the chaos. And um, I wish everybody I wish everybody well who is really wanting to walk to to something to know deep within themselves what's really going on and who they are. I think there's been no better chance than in hundreds, maybe thousands of years to do that. Right on, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Howdy McCoskey. Thanks for coming on. Um, this was awesome. Thanks guys. Awesome. I appreciated it. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's been always interesting to have these conversations and see where they go. You know, yes, what, what's going to get talked about in each interview. It's always, it's always new and different and I appreciate it. Well, howdy McCoskey. Yeah, as far as, uh, Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna, I was gonna kind of do what you're doing there, Johnny. But um, I was gonna say I, I went to get your book because I wanted to prepare for this interview. Your uh, most recent book, Exit the Cave, and I was like, oh, there's no PDF on Amazon, but I noticed on your website, um, which I believe it's 
Egyptian Secrets Revealed, but I'm probably getting the name wrong. Um, yeah, Egyptian-Wisdom-Revealed.com. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can go there to get the PDF of your book, and it was uh, very reasonable. It was only $5, and you get a link. I put more money than that because I thought you deserved more than that. So uh got the book, and I didn't get to finish it, but I, I did get a good chunk of it read. And uh, your other books are uh, at least exposing the uh, expositions is terrific. Mm. So I highly recommend uh, going there. And, and on, on Amazon, you can get all of the print copies as well of all the books. Thanks. Yeah, the print copies are all there. There's yes. also a Kindle copy of Falling for Truth. That's there. But for the PDF file for um, for Exit the Cave, that's it. Yeah, that's on that's on my website. And um, it's um, I, I wanted to make sure that it was affordable for everyone. I felt that the the material is valuable, and um, and so even though I like a print copy, I like to hold a book. Um, a lot of people, for other people, it's not that important. So mm-hmm. you can do that there. I hope to get an audio book out maybe in a month or so, but I'm I'm having a challenge and finding I'm finding I'm not a good reader of my own book. So, um, but we'll come up with a solution. And uh, yeah, those are the places to go. And Howdy McCoskey Talks is my YouTube channel. Um, got a couple hundred or 300 videos there of a whole lot of different topics and a lot of videos. hopefully there's some things that interest you. And I always try to make sure I say to people, you know, I don't know all the answers. I don't know what's going to happen after we die. I don't know what's really happened, how this realm was created for sure. I'm just presenting a thesis. I'm presenting information. I'm presenting things to get you to think, to get you to ask more and more deeper questions, to go one step further uh, not to believe or what I believe, but to find out what you truly believe, open your doorways to what's possible, and then walk into your own truth. That's kind of the point of what I'm doing. All right on. Thank you very much, Howdy. Uh, we really appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. And uh, yeah, let's see what happens and see if our world is still in somewhat normal shape in six months or so. Maybe do it again. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you back on. Yeah, man. Mm, for sure. All right. Well, you take care, sir. Cheers. All right. Howdy McCoskey, guys. What do you think? That was terrific. That was awesome. Yes. 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 Good timing. Yeah. This is good timing. This, oh, what, what, talk about? Covered a lot of ground there. Yeah. It was different than the other interviews that I've heard of his. Uh, I'm glad for that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want it well, to be the like same my, interview as my brain else. got stretched out to another like two sizes larger. Yeah, and it was like, ah man, I forgot what I was gonna say like three times. It's like, because <laughs> it's like, okay, that point right there. Okay, remember it. Remember, remember. Oh, that point. Oh, that point. Same. Okay, that one. That one's gone. Okay, okay, okay. Next one. Oh, that point. Yeah, it's like, ah. Yeah, I, I did. Like- jo- I, I did jot down a couple keywords so I could try to re- revisit a couple things. Yeah, you I know, start but, doing uh, that. I gotta start doing that. Yeah, I felt like we were all trying to jump in on each other because there was so much that we all wanted to say too, and not enough us to say it. It's all right. It's all right. Anyways, it was a great interview, and everybody's gonna love it when it is released. But, um, yes, Skull, thank you for joining us again, all the way from Japan. Yes, Enjoy the rest you. of your day, sir. Always a pleasure. All right, I'll and, go to bed now that it's five thirty a.m. <laughs> right, I know, dude. I'm sorry, but uh, that's, that's what happens when your guest is in Norway. But uh, we will be back Tuesday live on DLive and Pilled and Odyssey and all that for the Nationalist Inquirer, as usual. Uh, we're going to get out of here. We have a creepy pasta for you. I don't know what it is, but it'll be there. I promise. All right. We'll see you all later. Time travel makes you gay.
Onward, our torch carried us. The darkness was interrupted by our light for the first time in days. Creeping, crawling things, spiders and other sorts with many legs went scurrying away from our approach. The ceiling of the dungeon was caked with layers of webbing that burned away as we lifted the fire above our heads. We followed the path most cleared of the webs. Never had I thought a price would be large enough to get me into the place. Snaking tunnels led us far into the sewers from the castle dungeon, and down into the dark secrets that laid underneath mortal men above. With torches and oil lamps in one hand, and long silver blades at the ready in the other, ghouls and other undead beings would be sorely indisposed should they have crossed our path. We'd cut down many swaths of undead before that day. What could have been a traditional scavenging and spelunking had turned to a more costly rescue mission. The fool mage Marcusio did not take proper precautions. Perhaps his coin purse was too tight when it came to an experienced sellsword. As we turned the corner into the Basilica Cistern, following the path obviously taken by a poor, indisposed customer, a foul, putrid odor filled our nostrils. The stink was enough to bring tears to our eyes, so sudden and thick, the air was pungent with a mold that made even breathing heavy. Even the air around us seemed to waver with gaseous fumes. The damned fool mage had his contingencies in place, of course, so that backup would be sent in behind him if he had not returned from his greedy endeavor. Although I did not expect to find the man alive, I had hoped for a head to take back as a bounty. As per arrangement, if there is no rescue to be made, then a bounty on the killer is to commence. I looked at my men, and we nodded to one another. We all knew that it had likely turned to headhunting now. As we came into the large, open area, we were overwhelmed with dizzying stench. My two men started gagging, coughing, frantically ripping their scarves up over their faces. A large form in the center of the basilica began to rise from an impossibly deep pool. The familiar mage, in his magic robes, lay before us, inanimate. His face had been burned with acid, and the orbs that had once been his eyes were shriveled almost to nothingness, leaving behind two gory sockets. His skin had been mostly burned or torn away, revealing muscle, tissue, and a face of bone staring back at us. The silver medallion still around his skeletal neck floated around his dissolved visage, and arms up around him still draped in his magical garment seemed to lift and float in the ooze. That gelatinous ooze 
The form steadily rising from the pool took a consistency separate from the sewage it drew from. A vibrant green hue ran through the form, and the thing came rolling forward with a sickening plop upon the stone. The towering, gelatinous cube before us had no head to take home. My two men aside me abruptly dropped their torches and began pulling at their legs. Their legs! They were stuck fast to the ground, and the green, viscous ooze was already about them. They were standing in the damned thing, not even knowing. What a horrible waste. And a horrible end. As the ooze pulled over the men and into their screaming mouths, their gurgling cries were snuffed out. A sickeningly thick bubble of goo came forth from each of their mouths, as though they were vomiting tar. Before I could get my wits about me, the mage we came for lifted his head and gazed at me, boring his dead sight into my body from his empty sockets. But he was alive. The horrible thing was consuming him, ever slowly. I tell you now, there are things in this realm we are not meant to do battle with. I have a lot of time to rethink my poor life choices now. Here in this ooze, I have nothing but time to think while I am slowly digested.